Hello and welcome to episode 111 of the Film Yak Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. And I'm JR. Today we're talking Kevin's pick, Basquiat, from 1996, directed by Julian Schnabel, or Schnabel, <laughs> who knows, and uh, lots of other stuff we watched, and trailers, and so on and so forth. Uh, there's a hurricane about to hit dead center, like right up our assholes here mm-hmm. in Louisiana, but JR is safe. He doesn't care. He's got nothing going on. That's fair. Yeah, I, I have no more family in Louisiana right in the center of this hurricane, so I'm not worried. And that's not true. Mm. That's not true? Do you have family here yeah. still? Both, I mean, yeah, both my parents are still there. Okay. I don't know where your parents are. A live. lot of my extended <laughs> family. What? You've talked to my parents so many times. I've talked to you. You've never, you've never <laughs> met my parents. I've never <laughs> met you. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so, uh, yeah, there's going to be a uh, bit of a storm in a couple of days, but right now, we're, we're just focused on cinema, you know? Mm. That's what's yeah. <laughs> most important at the moment. That's what's getting those, us through these hard times. Let yeah. those people wait in their long lines for gas and groceries. We'll watch movies. I actually uh, have had an experience with that yesterday. I had to, uh, I left for school after work and I was like oh you know I needed gas before I got to school but I was like I'll just get it after school (laughs) and then I went over to the gas station of course like all the pumps are like closed down so I had to go to my mom's house and get my sister to drive me with a gas can to a a gas station (laughs) that had gas and it was just a big it just took like so long it really wasn't that bad but it just took so long ouch home you know Mm. but I've got a half tank of gas now so (laughs) (laughs) always get gas before work Always. Always. Well, sometimes I feel like I want to get to work so I can, like, psych myself in for the day. You know? mm, yeah. I need to, like, sit in my room quietly for, like, at least five or ten minutes before classes start, or else I just, like, nothing is right. But, I, you know. I agree. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about some trailers. So, mm. the big trailer dropped this week was uh, the third Spider Man Marvel, Marvel Sony crossover spider-man film are they, i mean it's still it's still a sony property right i guess so yes but it's in the yes. marvel universe yes because they, mm. they made that deal so the third uh, spider-man film no way home starring that uh that young looking kid tom holland mm-hmm. and uh dr strange and uh of course uh characters from the original sam raimi films and Apparently, they're not in the trailer, but apparently the Andrew Garfield films as well. Yeah. What did you, you think of this trailer? It was cool seeing Doc Ock, mm-hmm. who's the only villain we really see, I think, mm. at the we very hear, end. We hear Defoe. We laughing. do hear Defoe. Is he actually in it? He is, apparently, yeah. I mean, there's okay. a re- well, I mean, I don't think there's anything confirmed, but I'm pretty sure mm. there's like set photos of him running around. Right. Cool. Yeah, I mean, there's no secrets anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you go on Reddit, you can find you can find out what the movie's about, what happens at the end of it. You know, they have the script leak and everything. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, um, I, I I don't know the yeah I agree I liked seeing uh that was the that was the only positive for me I liked seeing Alfred Molina at the end of it just glad he's getting work and uh, mm. well the rest I mean this is this was the teaser mm. um a three minute which teaser. I yeah the three minute teaser which I guess meant was like. We're okay with just having like a shit ton of Doctor Strange exposition for our trailer, and that's like that's it, and that's why I thought the trailer sucked. <laughs> just like 
their conversation uh, and how um, apparently Doctor Strange is so happy to do this spell and then immediately is like, be careful what you wish for. (laughs) This is is fucking stupid. I like when the Asian guy just appears out of a hole in the wall and says, don't cast that spell. (laughs) It's just so ridiculous. It's the worst. (sighs) And and also like Doctor Strange, I've never seen the Doctor Strange film, mm. and I know Sam Raimi is directing the new Doctor Strange, but um, he he just like this is this pinpoints this trailer pinpoints my problem with Marvel films, I think, which is that all the characters have the exact same voice, like they're all he, constantly making quips and like funny remarks. Yeah. It's just so annoying. Yeah. I, so Doctor Strange. I thought was uh, one of the more like uniquely bad Marvel movies. Mm. Uh, and Dr. Strange has no, like he is the least unique character uh, in the sense that like, he is just Iron Man. He's just I- magic Iron Man. Mm. He has the same personality. He has the same exact kind of like origin where he's like asshole turned hero, but keeps that asshole part of his uh, personality. Yeah. Uh, I, in you know, was, after an origin movie, it would make sense to let like let's move away from that and do something different. But uh, they have not moved away from that part of his personality at all. He is still just mm. uh, Tony Stark with magic. Yeah, and even like a similar goofy goatee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't um doesn't work for me, man. And I I, I I'm kind of like bummed out because I want to see. Toby and uh, Doc Ock and, you know, Willem Dafoe and everything. But, uh, you know, it's going to be like, you know, a 20-minute sequence in a three-hour movie. So, <laughs> like, what difference does it make anyway? Mm. It's not like it's about them. It's going to be like the, the when The Flash comes out and Michael Keaton's going to be in it for seven minutes, you know? Right. The Spider-Man movies have been a little shorter than the other Marvel movies. I wonder if that'll stay the same. No, I'm sure. Well, I was kidding about the three hours, but you know what I mean. Proportionately, yeah. it's going to be a small yeah. amount of time, probably, if those characters are actually in the film. Mm. Especially since the audience for those films are... I mean, the audience for these Marvel films... I mean, I guess They're it's... young. It's people like us, but it's also... Yeah, it's also young people who don't even necessarily know about the other films, you know? Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you read the internet, the, the audience for these movies is like... Or, or the fanboys on the internet all seem to be like... 30 plus mm-hmm. and you know are awful but mm-hmm. like the the theater going audience of these movies is young it's you know right it's everything from from 10 year olds to two 45 year olds with uh, that i think leans pretty young mm. like all of my all of my 13 year old students watch these marvel movies uh and know all, them very all, well all of my 18 year old students watch these marvel movies they've got all the yeah. teenagers they just don't um argue about them on the internet as much as old people probably they're very yeah. shocked if you tell them you don't like them they don't they're like what yeah <laughs> and like I, I i love dropping hot takes in my classes about my movie opinions i'll be like yeah you know the the christopher nolan batman films are trash <laughs> <laughs> you don't like batman it's like no i like batman i just don't like the nolan batmans yeah dark knight is, is awful <clears throat> they don't know how to handle that mm-hmm Anyway, um, speaking of uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, he's also in uh, this other movie called The Power of the Dog. Mm. 
directed by Jane Campion. Campion? Uh, who hasn't directed a movie in 10 years, apparently, because she's been doing that Top of the Lake show, I guess. Which I did watch the first episode yeah. of a while ago, and it was all right. I liked... I, I watched the first season. I liked the first season. Uh, yeah. I did not watch the second one in, in China. Um, right. Or featuring... Or just... Was it called China something? I don't know. It was definitely I, in a different country. I don't know. I am excited about this movie. I like the look of what we see. Um, but I am not excited about this movie based on any of like the content in the trailer. It's more like names attached, what it looks like and the idea of what it could be. I honestly like the I the trailer plot is weird to follow. And the synopsis is even weird. Like a printed synopsis is even weirder. Uh, so I'm just like, we'll see what happens when I can see the movie in December 1st. Mm. <laughs> yeah it looks like a uh it looks very beautiful like beautifully shot <clears throat> and um i like jesse plemons and oh, yeah. i think i like kirsten dunst oh yeah and them together yeah. power couple of yeah, the century they're, yeah. they're like they're married right are they married or are they just having a kid together or something i, I think know. they're i think they're married but i don't know mm. met, and, met on uh, fargo right and uh <laughs> i don't like cody smith mcphee but maybe he'll be good. Maybe. And yeah. I don't think I like Benedict Cumberbatch either, but I don't haven't really seen him in much. But he looks good in this. Mm. I mean, I'd say yes. he's all right. Um, yeah. I don't I like I've seen um Sherlock uh the Marvel stuff that he's in um a couple of other things, but like I mean he's never like blown me away, but he's never been like Oh, that guy sucks. Yeah, I oh, mean, no. I've never, yeah, I've never yeah. seen him be like, oh, he's garbage. I just mm. haven't seen him do anything impressive. Right. Well, it's like outside of those sort of <clears throat> like, you know, asshole heroes on the spectrum. I, I don't like <laughs> on the spectrum. <laughs> I mean, like, was the uh, the imitation game that he was? Oh yeah, uh, was yeah, he yeah. was he an asshole in that game in that movie though? I don't, I didn't I see mean, the movie. Kinda. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like the the so. Like, I mean, he yeah. was he was an asshole yeah. in the way you expect people to. The way he was an asshole in the way that most actors portray people on the spectrum. Oh, I see. Yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah like you know, you know, just like very antisocial and like you know has like the awkward reactions and you know is socially, uh, just like socially not the way we we want him to be. Or whatever, but yeah. He he plays a lot of those characters, mm. and I he might be good at that character, uh, but yeah, I don't know if if I like that kind of character. Yeah, the, so we'll see. But cinema, he'll be an asshole oh, in this, though. Also, he's he's he clearly like uh, yeah. manipulating mm. people, but it looks like a different kind of asshole. Right. The um, fellow who shot the film is uh, the guy who did uh, True History of the Kelly Gang, which I also thought looked pretty nice. So yeah. cool, should be good. And he uh, also shot Lady Macbeth, which I haven't seen, but I, the trailer looked looked uh, well shot. Mm. You know, Jane Jane Campion, fellow uh, either Australian or New Zealand, New Zealander. I can't remember which. Mm. A Kiwi? I don't know what yeah. she is. <clears throat> I don't know. She's made all of her stuff down there. Isn't I think uh, in, Top in of the Lake countries. is in New Zealand, right? Top of the Lake yeah. is 
like set in New Zealand or shot in New Zealand? When, when I started my sentence, I was like so confident that she's <laughs> Australian, and then I was like, wait, she might be from New Zealand. Mm. I think she's New Zealand. Yeah, New Zealand. A New Zealand okay. screenwriter, producer, and director. The first film, female filmmaker to win the Palm d'Or. I still haven't seen The Piano. That's good. I know. I should see it. Or did you say that's good, that I haven't seen it? No, the, the piano is good. <laughs> that's good. You shouldn't see it. And I love her. I think her her most recent movie is my favorite movie of hers, Bright Star. I I love Bright Star. Mm. With uh, Abby Cornish. It's great. I saw In the Cut because that's I like Mark Ruffalo favorite. and it was not wonderful. That's but it wasn't horrible or anything. No. Mm. I remember thinking, like, this is a woman who won the Palm d'Or. Like, this is the kind of movie she makes. Like, this is kind of <laughs> generic, man. But anyway, um, mm-hmm. also, uh, the, what this movie has in common with the other, the last trailer we're going to talk about, which is Spencer from Pablo Lorraine, is that they're both scored by Johnny Greenwood. So I'm looking forward to two new Johnny Greenwood scores mm. and how they work with, uh, the, especially with Spencer, which is something that's like. Uh, his the the other film that he made about um, someone in the public eye like this Jackie, Jackie mm. had the uh, Micah Levy score which I thought was great and I think Greenwood and and she sort of operate in the same space so I think uh, Spencer looks uh, you know expectedly uh, gorgeous I think Pablo Lorraine mm. shoots really beautiful images um, I don't think his movies are amazing but the 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 imagery is really great mm. what do you guys think of the spencer teaser you notice that they kind of uh they don't show stewart talking a lot she has one line they're scared they're yeah scared. they're they should be scared uh, not not look, i really like kristen stewart me I too like her a great deal but it's gonna be weird it's gonna be weird to see her with an accent like that she's yeah. not done to my knowledge, she's not done much of that kind of acting. Right. Uh, like, that's not the kind of thing she usually tries to push. And I'm very nervous. And we all know her voice very well. So mm-hmm. it's going to be weird. Mm. For American audiences, for sure. I think uh, English audiences will have the same problem, but from the Diana perspective, maybe. Like, <laughs> yeah. they know Diana's voice very well. Mm. And yeah. she'll, she'll be trying and- to mimic that. <laughs> And they probably know Kristen Stewart's voice well too. Uh, true, you know, yeah. <laughs> people have seen the Twilight films are everywhere. <laughs> sure, <you know? laughs> she's a big actress. Uh, yeah, Charlie's Charlie's Angels was huge in Britain. Was it? <laughs> no, <laughs> she does. Uh, she does look surprisingly similar to Diana when they get her in the get up and the wig and everything. Yeah, or for the, sure. That's her hair, actual hair. I don't know, but yeah, uh, she um, she looks right. Um, mm-hmm. I'm. Oh, and it's written by Stephen Knight. I didn't know that. Hmm? He wrote. Uh, Eastern Promises and uh, oh, Peaky Blinders and uh, some other stuff. Mm. I that yeah, Tom I, Hardy car movie. I don't remember what it's called. This movie could be good. I'm, it could yeah, be I good, hope, and if we is, kind yeah. of like prep ourselves to just like have an open mind with the accent, <laughs> just because it doesn't sound like Kristen Stewart, maybe mm. maybe we could. Maybe we could like it. I don't know. It's not an issue for me. I don't mm. really care. I mean, like accents. I'm not one of these people for whom ac- a bad accent is going to ruin a film for me. I know a lot of people that's like it, a big like no no for people, but I just, mm. I don't I don't really care. I can look the other way on it. It's a it's a bummer when accents suck, but it's the kind of thing that comes up like like if the rest of the movie isn't good, 
mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. accent becomes like a really easy thing to to make fun of. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I don't think that. I mean, I can't imagine this movie is going to be like bad in that way where you're going to be looking for the reasons to make fun of it. Yeah, I think that. I mean, Jackie might be my least favorite Pablo Lorraine movie that I've seen. Oh, I like Jackie. Mm. I'll, I, actually, Jackie's a good example of that. Like, um, I like Jackie. I think that Natalie Portman is probably the weakest part of Jackie. Mm. Like her weird affect affect that she puts on her voice and everything, and her performance I didn't love. But um, I like the movie overall. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. Didn't love it, but you know. Yeah. I would like anyway. for um, oh sorry go ahead. I would like for trailers to stop using different arrangements of cover songs. Oh yeah, it's brutal. Dude. Like especially like this one, like the choir version of "Perfect Day" by Lou Reed. I was like, <sighs> like I'm not trying. I'm not sitting here trying to be some hipster. Like no, you have to. It has to be the real Lou Reed, man. No, hipsters like that though. Uh, hipsters uh, would I, think that's cool. I I the, um, I'm not into it at all. I, yeah, I don't like it either. I thought it was honestly like it was really making me cringe. I was like, "What the fuck is going on?" I think it worked with the uh, social network teaser twelve years ago, and now it's sort of played out. Uh, yeah. I think it worked in. Um, I think it worked both in the Us trailer and in Us the movie. Uh, well, that's a, but, that's that song is so is sort of more obscure than usual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the um, yeah, the AV Club published something about this phenomenon like this past week, and I, I wish I'd read it. But yeah, I, th- I think the headline was something like, "This is why, <laughs> this is why trailers are using um, reworked pop songs." And I did not read it. I should have. I can't afford the actual song. <clears throat> Probably. <laughs> That's not why. Um. All right. Well. That's our trailer talk for this week. So let's move on to what we watched. Okay. Uh, I don't even have my letterbox open. Jesus. Mm. So I can't go first. Well, wait. Let's start. Uh, you know, let's start with with Hugh Jackman. You know, let's I watched it. I watched Hugh Jackman uh, take on a, a gritty neo noir uh, from a writer director of Westworld called Reminiscence. Uh, I had been seeing the trailer for this for a couple months on HBO Max, and I think it played before both movies I saw in the theater over the summer. And, uh, you know, I was just like, nothing about this looks good, but it does look fucking wild. Mm. So I'm going to check it out. HBO Max, first day, baby. Always. I'm always there, first day. First day. Mm. You got to. Um, And, you know, it's... uh, it's a touch bland. It's rated PG-13, which was a huge mistake. Uh, this, is, just in the sense that, like, this is sort of a a light uh, post-apocalyptic world um, with a lot of angry people. Language would have been appropriate, you know. Like, there should be some some f bombs going, and there aren't. Um, and you know, it it initially presents itself as this kind of like a romantic mystery with Rebecca Ferguson uh, her character uh, Lady Jessica mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry <laughs> uh, <laughs> so sorry uh, Hugh Jackman and uh, Tandy Newton are war vets who run this uh, this uh, we'll call it like a, a clinic a business 
It's like they they have this technology, and it's it's not uncommon technology. Well, you know, they're not the only ones that have it. Uh, where you basically sit in this like shallow water tank uh, and put this thing on your head, and it can access your memories. So you kind of relive uh, these memories that you want to to enjoy, right? And that the deal is like there isn't a ton of happiness in this world. Um, it's it's post climate disaster, post horrific uh, kind of civil civil war stuff so people want to live in the past uh and this is also something that like cops use and the army uses to like get memories out of people to solve crimes so there's a little bit of like a you know not minority report in like pre-crime thing but they're using technology to to have people incriminate themselves with their memories um and Rebecca Ferguson comes in just like saying she's looking for her keys. She lost her keys. So she gets in the tank. Hugh Jackman falls madly in love. Rebecca Ferguson is beautiful. We, you know, we get it. Uh, and then like the first 45 minutes of this are just like the worst fucking slog in the world. Uh, where Hugh Jackman and Ferguson are just like in love. And it's like, oh my God, we, we have to go somewhere. We have to go somewhere now. Um, and then they just don't for a while. Uh, there, there are these like Hugh Jackman like, is bringing his tech to the cops. It's like to uh, like he's like a contractor to like put uh, potential criminals in the tank and stuff. And so we get weird bits of uh, these other crimes and trials that we uh, have no context for. And it's like oh, I wonder how this is going to come back later. Uh, Ferguson disappears, and you know he just like goes on the hunt for Ferguson. Um, and that's when the movie kind of picks up and we get a bunch more shenanigans going on and it's clear like, oh, some of like the criminals and rich people we met earlier probably matter. And then, you know, before the climax, it becomes pretty clear that like at some point along the way, this kind of boring romantic noir became more of like a Chinatown, like there's something going on with the rich people in the city uh, and power kind of noir. Uh, but that transition is handled very poorly it's very clunky nothing fits naturally like it should and uh you know this movie ends up not being the worst thing ever but it's uh it's not good and i don't recommend it bummer mm. some of the water visual stuff is cool they're, they're in uh both a sunken uh, miami and a sunken new orleans a lot of this was filmed in louisiana i found mm. out um and some of that stuff looks really cool. Uh, and some of that stuff looks really cool in a way that's really bad. Like, they go into, like, the, like, lowest level of partially filled apartment complex, like, water-filled. And so they're they're on a floor, they're, like, a foot in water, and there's all this, like, uh, musical equipment that's all, like, in perfect condition, but it's, <laughs> it's all just been sitting there for, like, ten years. Like, <laughs> everything would be so rotted and, and fucked up. Like Yeah, just uh, rust alone. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, a cool image, but then it's, like, oh, this doesn't make any sense. Mm. Um, but, yeah, some cool stuff. Not good. Well, that's a real shame. Mm. I know that you're a big Westworld head, so you had to watch this thing. Uh, I'm, I'm 100% not. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, didn't it, didn't uh, one of the season. Nolans produce this? Didn't the Jonathan produce this? Yeah. Uh, Lisa Joy, the uh, writer and director, is a an executive producer and writer on Westworld, mm. and she is married to oh. Jonathan Nolan. Uh, there you go. So this is kind of a this well, is kind of like an in-house production deal, you know, 
working yeah. with with Warner and HBO. Mm. Uh, same team that makes Westworld, obviously. Nice. All right, cool. I'll go next. Okay. I uh, I watched uh, Untold, episode one, Malice at the Palace, which is a new Netflix series. Uh, it's similar to Thirty for Thirty, I suppose. Uh, and uh, this one is about a sort of fight that broke out between. JR, help me out. What are the teams? Uh, Pistons and Pacers, I believe. The Pistons and the Pacers, and the Pistons and the, or the Pacers rather, and the audience, more specifically. The audience Mm. and the Pacers got into it. And uh, three players specifically uh, got into like fist fights with people. And it was just a big mess. And this documentary is very, very good, very entertaining, super solid, really short. It's like an hour and eight minutes long. And uh, it tells, uh, it sort of tries to give you the perspective of um, the players who were actually there and like what they were thinking at the time. And also of the sort of supporting characters like the, uh, like the audience members and Reggie Miller was there, but he wasn't playing. And um, yeah, it's just really, I don't know, man. It was very entertaining. I'm very entertained by sports documentaries. I don't like sports mm. at all. I could never watch a basketball game. It's so boring. <laughs> but this is just so fascinating. Mm. And um, I also really like how they sort of, they show how the media reacted at the time. And it's like very like obviously racist. <laughs> and it's really strange like how like blatantly racist the media was at the time about these three players just like, calling them thugs and saying they have like a like a street thug mentality and all this wow. kind of stuff. like it's just putting everything on them you know because they're the black guys they must have started it and it's just really uh fucked up but also you know it's just interesting like looking back and saying you know at least we've come far enough to where that sort of thing would be that wouldn't necessarily happen anymore i mean the media might still be racist but they won't say it so blatantly at least right <laughs> <laughs> when did this happen yeah this happened in uh, 2004. Or oh, maybe. wow. Yeah. Uh, this was... Yeah. yeah. Sorry. No, go ahead. I, this, was, this was just like a huge... This was such a huge thing in the NBA world. This was like a... This was like a, an existential crisis moment for the NBA uh, based on its player media relations. I, I haven't watched this documentary yet. I, I can't wait to, but I have... This is a, an NBA story on on which I've done you know pretty extensive uh, reading, and have seen like all the clips from. Um, so I'm excited that the documentary is entertaining. I can't yeah, wait. You're gonna love it. Cool. You're gonna love it. <laughs> it reminded me of uh, actually it's it's a like it's like a more serious version of. Uh, I mean they're not really related at all, but the the thirty for thirty that I like the most is um, Winning Time, the Reggie Miller one, which is just like phenomenal and so entertaining, and it's like that. It's that entertaining, but it's way more like grim and serious because you know it's dealing with more serious subject matter. Mm. But it also has Reggie Miller, which is just great. Like this guy, I could watch this guy talk about changing his oil in his car. Like he's just <laughs> fascinating to watch. Well, you know, he does uh, NBA games. Uh, he announces them. Does so he? You could watch a Reggie Miller <laughs> yeah. uh, announced NBA game. And maybe yeah, let like me, that let me become others. an NBA fan just to hear the announcer talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, you know. 
I don't have enough space Whatever in my brain. Takes. I don't know how you do it because I always tell people like when they ask me like you know like my students will ask me like why like you're into movies like way too much and you know too much stuff about movies. I'll say but yeah but like you know all that you probably know who all the players on the Saints are you know and like I don't know any of that shit. But like you're like both like you're like Richard Linklater I, like you're into sports and movies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm really into sports, but I I don't I don't make a ton of time to actually watch. Uh, basketball games like during the season I read I read basketball information and I follow the Pelicans very closely but I'm not actually watching games until usually the playoffs because mm. I don't have the channels that play basketball games so mm. right. I have to stream them illegally <laughs> come, come summertime I'll, I'll cut that out um. <laughs> alright Kevin Okay, so I watched uh, Brian De Palma's film Obsession, which he co-wrote with uh, Paul Schrader. Oh, no kidding. I didn't know that. Yep. Um, so, so Obsession is this uh, New Orleans businessman. Um, he's got a wife and kid, and one day they get kidnapped and then the uh, like he's willing to pay the ransom, but then the kidnapping goes wrong, and uh, next thing he knows, uh, his wife and daughter have blown up in a car crash that the kidnapper was trying to get away in. And so later on, he finds himself in Italy, and he sees this woman who's like the spitting image of his late wife, and so he starts courting her and then you know things start to get weird um like <laughs> i sh you know i should have known how how it was going to turn out because like you know john lithgow is in a de palma film like well he's the villain because that happened mm -hmm. you know he's the villain in every de palma film he's in uh <laughs> Sometimes he's even the hero and the villain. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so like this this movie is basically like, you know, like Schrader and De Palma must have gotten together and be like, "Hey, we should do something." Yeah. What do you like? Uh, I like Hitchcock. Me too. And you know, like, "Oh, there's this other movie that I just saw. It's called Don't Look Now by Nicholas Regg." It's like, "I like that movie too." Because, like, there are so many similarities between, like, especially Vertigo mm -hmm. and, um, but, like, it take, taking place in Italy and being a thing that, like, um, that, that happened in the past, um, like, it's very Don't Look Now. Uh, the, tw the twist isn't as hardcore as it is in Don't Look Now, but, um. Cool. Yeah. And uh Yeah, it's on my watch list. I need to check it out. Yeah. And I gave it a three and a half because like it got like I don't know, like I like De Palma, but there's you guys will probably agree, a lot of times it's like, Oh yeah, uh Yeah, you're a Hitchcock fan. Cool. He loves Hitchcock. He lo he loves him some Hitchcock. <laughs> did you see the De Palma documentary where yes. he's interviewed by Bombach? Yes, I did. Yeah, he talks a lot about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, that's good, man. You should check it out. Yeah, I would highly recommend it. 
Um, it's way better than the Spielberg one. Oh, it's a lot less glad handy. That, the great thing about that De Palma documentary is that it's literally just like him talking about every yeah, single yeah. film that he's ever made. Yeah, in depth, <laughs> and it's not. There's no like bullshit about you know outside things outside of his filmmaking. It's just like. Mm. You're the master. Like, talk, tell, teach us. Yeah. <laughs> like, Bombach, you could tell Bombach and the other guy have, like, really great respect for him. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. Well, uh, all right. JR? Yeah, I'll get into, uh, to Circumaturian Challenge stuff since I've, I've been catching up. I, uh, you know, I finished eight hours, don't work a day. Uh, don't make a day. Thank you. <laughs> don't make a day. It's okay. Uh, and I didn't, you know, I didn't write that one down because I'm not actually going to talk about it. I just wanted to announce that I, I finished all, <laughs> I announce that all five movies, Humble uh, brag. all five episodes. Yeah. I watched and, eight hours of shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and you know, it didn't take me the half year that I thought it would. Mm. It took me only three months. Um, <laughs> but then I got into uh, the, you know, number 35, which was made in the Soviet Union. And I watched uh, LM... Klimov's um, Welcome or No Trespassing, which is on the Criterion channel. Klimov made uh, Come and See, which is a very serious, very dark, um, you know, war movie from the mid-80s. Uh, I really like that movie, but it's it's about as bleak as things can get uh, with its depiction of war. This was a very lighthearted comedy about uh, a children's camp and. uh in Soviet Union in the, you know, it's like mid-1964. And it's just this, like, kid uh, who is breaking rules at this camp. So he gets uh, sent home from camp. He gets put on a train. While he's on the train, he's like, if I show up back at my grandmother's house, she'll have a heart attack and she might die. So instead (laughs) of going home to his grandmother, he decides to go back to the camp and just hide. Um, You know, he's, like, just in like the little like huts with animals and kids are sneaking in food uh and stuff like that but that's whatever that's the plot but uh this movie is more about just uh you know the antics that children get up to uh in this camp where again they are living under we'll say like a a sort of light authoritarian rule they just have like so many rules they're not like allowed to have any fun um and yeah, it's uh, it's zany and it's cute, and in a sense, it like it looks like a movie that, like you're watching it, you're like, there's no way Wes Anderson has not seen this. Um, <laughs> well, now I gotta see it. And no, I, it, I I really recommend it. It's 75 minutes, and it is funny, and you know, like the satire, like c- clearly, you know, this little microcosm for the uh, you know, the Soviet government. Mm. Um, at the time and that's fine it's it's simple but it's it's effective because uh it's funny and you know there there are some great moments especially near the end when they have a uh, like a parents day for all the parents to come to camp that uh that's that's just it's gold there's there's a lot of gold in this movie highly highly recommend this 75 minute little russian comedy nice i'm sold i'll watch it 75 minutes you had me at 75 yeah. minutes you know uh i'm gonna talk in a, in, a, in a little bit about the the renowned westerns that i've been watching all under 80 minutes you can't beat them oh, you yeah. gotta watch mm. them <laughs> I will, uh, I'm, I'll, I'll check out yellow sky as soon as i can 
Well, that's not one of them, but yeah, that, <laughs> that's just, no, it. that's not, that's not one of the renowned ones, but it's 96 minutes. It's not that long. Ugh. Um, <laughs> okay. So, uh, I watched, uh, I mean, I watched a lot of criterion challenge stuff too, but I don't really have a lot to say about the missing or stagecoach or modern times. They were all okay. Sorry, Jr. I know you like stagecoach. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I didn't. I didn't dislike stagecoach. I mean, what are What are any of us going to say about stagecoach that hasn't been? Yeah, said? exactly. Yeah. It's just yeah. kind of a tired, you know, subject. But uh, I, so I'll just say I, I watched Annette, which is the new Leos Carax movie. Um, Based on your rating, I'm pretty fucking amped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know that I don't like uh, Holy Motors at all. Mm, that's why. I'm or amped. I didn't when I saw it ten years ago. Yeah. Just ensured um, this will be good. Yeah. Right. Oh, I mean, most people have been saying it's bad. I, I know Steve Finkelstein, who runs a Facebook film forum, who he said that uh, Holy Motors is like the greatest film of the 21st century, but he does not like this okay. at all. So wow. Calm down. Um, this movie is a uh, is a musical, and it's an operatic musical, meaning that they're singing their dialogue, which is just I can't. I don't understand the form of musical. Like, I don't understand, you know, when you look at, like, film language and, like, why decisions are made, it's usually because they're trying to get at something. And I guess with a film musical where the dialogue is being sung, I don't understand what the point is, like, what they're trying to get at. And I never have with any movie like this that I've ever seen, like Phantom of the Opera or... Uh, Le Miserable or any of these films, like, I just don't. I don't get it. Like I don't understand what it adds to anything. It really just sort of makes things uh, silly. Like it's like a stumbling block. It's like I can't take anything seriously because they're singing. I mean, there's a scene in this where Adam Driver is eating Marianne Cotard's pussy and he starts singing while he's eating her pussy. It's just like I can't. Like what? And I guess it's supposed to be funny, but it's not played for laughs. Like, it's played, like, as very sort of melodramatically um, serious, which I suppose is supposed to be, you know, maybe funny. But I don't know. I I, I found it funny, but <laughs> it was just, it's really, I don't know, man. This just doesn't, it opens with a great little number and uh, a walk through L.A. at night, which I really enjoyed. And I thought it was like, this, this might be all right. And Adam Driver is good in it for what he's given to do i mean i don't think his performance is bad i think marianne cotillard it does nothing in the movie and she's barely in it and uh, it's weird to me that she has so little to do and this guy simon helberg from uh big bang theory he's actually not bad in it but uh He's just he just looks so goofy. I don't know. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> and I keep thinking he's from Big Bang Theory. I was like, ah, this guy's from Big Bang Theory. It's just weird. Mm. But um, yeah, I don't know. It just didn't work. It's like two and a half hours long. Also, it's just way too long. Uh, yeah, and there's like a. I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, so I'm not going to say anything else about it. But it's just I don't know. It just did not work for me on almost any level, and I could not. Uh, parts of it were really really cringy and parts of it were like difficult to stay awake through there were some really there were some interesting ideas and some beautiful imagery at points but uh overall it's it's a no-go for me it's a no for me dog mm. as uh what's his face used to say right. randy 
Yeah, it's a uh, it's a bummer. <clears throat> I'm I'm still excited to to see. It, it You'll give it a four. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, I'm. Uh, no, I, I've definitely decided. It's <laughs> it's a four point two five. You know, minimum. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, but I. It sounds like. I will have less of a uh, negative reaction, just like automatically based on the music. I I think I just tend to like musicals more than you, mm-hmm. uh, so that won't be as much of a barrier for me. So it's, uh, you know, we'll see. Mm-hmm. I'm, it, it looks like it will be an interesting failure if it is a total failure. No, that's fair. I, I wouldn't say it's not interesting. Um, I will say that I don't want to be characterized as someone who doesn't like musicals. This is not a musical. This is an opera. This is like, like, I don't mind when there are musical sequences and the characters start spontaneously singing Mm. as long as they're singing songs. When they're singing dialogue, it makes no fucking sense to me. That's all. I, yeah. I'm trying to think of an operatic musical like this that I have enjoyed, you know, on on stage. And, you know, I, I have liked versions of Lib Miserable. I hate the movie version of that. Um, and I, I, I can't do Phantom in any form. Phantom always <laughs> bores me to tears no matter what, but that might just be Phantom, but yeah. All right. We'll see. Yeah. Well, we'll we will see. I'm surprised you didn't want, I really thought you'd watch it before I just, today. Again, I, I was talking to Kevin about this, but, uh, while you were late for this, uh, recording, <laughs> uh, just you know, we we didn't decide we were recording until pretty late, and I just yeah, I had done, sorry about that. I had done poor planning uh, up until that point. No, it's my fault. Yeah. We had back to school night, you know. Uh, that's a it's a lot of back stress. Back to school and, night. Yeah, like like Thursday night. So it's like like usually, an open you know, house kind of thing. Yeah, with parents. Oh, oh man. Cool. You know, but I live far away from my school, so I didn't. I don't have time to like leave and come back. So I got. We home don't. Like we haven't done that, and we haven't. We didn't do that last year. And we're not doing it this year. That's cause tight because of COVID. Mm. Oh, we were like. We were like, invite the COVID in, bring in the COVID. We <laughs> Super a, spreader. We have a mask mandate. Yeah. We have the sixth graders at my middle school have to wear uh, masks, and the teachers who teach sixth graders do, but none of the other kids did, or yeah, none of the other kids had to this past week. Uh, most of us were like betting on when they would make us all wear masks, or all the kids wear masks, and I was like, end of the first week, and it turns out uh, I was I was pretty close. It's the beginning of the third week. <laughs> on Monday, all the kids have to start wearing masks after mm. all their parents came in and were not. Well, whatever. I, yeah, sure. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's just I, it's depressing to even talk about. But uh, <laughs> sorry, yeah. sorry, tangent. No, it's yeah. all good. Yeah. Okay. So that's Annette, uh, Kevin. So after reading the uh, play by Bertolt Brecht, I watched uh, Pabst's film of the Three Penny Opera, mm. and. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Um, I liked. I liked. Uh, I liked the imagery, and I liked. Um, I thought it was pretty. I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, but other other than that, like it was, you know, it was. It's fine. Um, yeah, I haven't seen yeah. it. I don't know. I like Paps though. You know. Me. Yeah, I love. Yeah, Paps. you're a Pap a I, Paps guy. Yeah. And um, but uh, so. The the other day I <laughs> I was I was I was with the boys and we were watching some math DVD and Sebastian like 
10 minutes in, he's like, nah, we need to watch something else. So he grabs uh, the page master. And so he falls asleep within like 10 minutes. Uh, so I just keep watching the movie because I hadn't seen it, you know, since I was a kid. And <laughs> so page master Macaulay Culkin plays this egghead type who's like really into health and safety statistics. And <laughs> yeah. And so like, so, so he's going down to the hardware store. He gets caught in a storm, ends up at the library and, uh, slips on some rain and adventures ensue with books the first thing i thought of as soon as he gets into the library and i texted my brother this i was like how does he know all these statistics but he doesn't have a library card like i mean i it's pre-internet yeah right? pre-internet we're talking yeah. 93 94 so um that yeah and <laughs> yeah so i started to think like okay maybe maybe he could like i don't see how he would get into that unless like his parents had like a medical journal like lying around or yeah, maybe he has a library at his house maybe i don't know uh, <laughs> and but yeah um yeah so i thought i thought that was kind of funny that an obvious bookworm does not have a library card and, like, he's, I don't know, nine, ten, and, like, his parents, like, you know, anyway, uh, the, I, I would say the movie is still entertaining, um, I thought Macaulay Culkin was good, I thought, you know, like, it's, I was a little confused when, uh, I was reading the Wikipedia article on it, and they were talking, like, apparently it, like, it bombed like real hard and i think it was uh gene siskel was like i don't understand why they're trying to say like books can be as exciting as video games or movies and it's like dude like <laughs> it's like i realize the movie itself doesn't really give the it it doesn't do the best job of conveying use of imagination. It's just kind of, you know, the kid gets knocked out and then he goes through this dream sequence where he's going through all these adventures. But you're saying that the theme, like the the point of the movie is that like imagination is stronger than video game and entertainment and movie entertainment. I Is that what Siskel was saying? Like that's the point of the movie and that's silly? Well, his thing was I, I guess specifically that books can't be as entertaining as movies or video games. And now, I mean, it just depends on the book and the depends on the movie, right? Yeah, so. exactly. And like for for a cr and the and the kid. Well, right, yeah, that's yeah. true too. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, but yeah, it, it seemed weird for Siskel. Yeah, it it just seemed like really, and he also said it was like. Um, like a real downer of a movie and I was like what are you talking about like did you watch the movie <laughs> but it, but you know all you know I, I Siskel and Ebert there have been so many times where I'm like what what are you I talking use, about I kind of like I usually like I don't say usually I think Ebert's has this sort of populist folk you know a focus on on movies that I I kind of appreciate mm. 
you know, and and he tends to my my tastes definitely align with his more than Cisco's. Oh, okay. Based on the hundreds of uh, videos I've watched on YouTube of them reviewing mm. the worst movies of the '80s and the best movies of the '90s and so forth and so on. Yeah. <laughs> but did um, you um, hmm? did you guys listen to the recent Ringer podcast, Gene and Siskel? Like it ended this past week. Mm-mm. No, I don't know what that is. Uh, it's it's really good. Just kind of. You know, eight episode uh, little history of uh, of their show and relationship. Nice. Mm. I watched Life Itself. Cool. They had some, I, um, you know, background footage of them yelling at each other and stuff. That was fun. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. Well, uh, it is my turn, right? <laughs> uh, no, I, uh, it's actually mine. But Is it? That's okay. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Okay, I apologize. <laughs> I... You know, I, really I don't know. think I forgot our, what order we're in right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think our order needs to stay super formal. Who goes after Ke- you? Go okay. after Kevin for real? I don't remember. I, I, <laughs> I, know, I do today. I have no memory. Yeah. Go ahead. Jesus, <laughs> you know, just every week trying to silence me about something. <laughs> you know. Uh, no, I'm gonna do my uh, my next Criterion one, number uh, 37, part of the Eclipse Collection. I watched, uh, and, and I saw Kevin had seen this, mm. I watched uh, Leningrad Cowboys Go America, um, which is the Aki uh, Korosmaki comedy about a, uh, a a Russian, I guess it's, it says rock band. They don't really become a rock band until later. Mm. Uh, a, a Russian band who uh, have very silly outfits and hair. Uh, they travel to America to find fame and fortune and go on a road trip. And... Um, it is, you know, this is the silliest Aki Korosmaki movie I've ever seen, but uh, the band is funny and they have a lot of very funny moments. And um, I love the actor, it's like Maddie Pelinpa, who plays the manager of this band, mm. uh, as they travel to Mexico to play a, uh, a wedding. It's a... Uh, it's a lot of fun, and it's uh, it's a very on-brand type of fun, and um, for for this guy's movies, it's like if you guys ever seen like Shadows in Paradise, or um, okay, I've never seen any of this guy's movies. Jordan talked about this movie, yeah, early on in the podcast, like on our episode one or two or okay. something, and he said that uh, he heard about him because Jarm- Jarmish talked about him, yeah, and Jarmish is in this movie. Oh, makes sense. There you yeah, go. I think he's like the mechanic. Yeah, uh, mechanic slash, you know, used shitty used car salesman. Ah, right, right. Um, and there was, earlier in the movie, they get to America and meet like a, a promoter. And the guy who plays their promoter looks a lot like Jarmish. And I was like, is that is that Jim? <laughs> and it wasn't Jim. And then Jim shows up. Ah. Um but no, uh, this is really funny. So, Kevin, you haven't seen this? I could have sworn you have a, a rating on there. Uh, I, five out of five. A review. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's yeah. what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> five out of five. I laughed my ass off the entire time during this movie. I thought it was fantastic. I don't know if it would hold up as a five now, but I, I don't know. Like, when when I saw it, like, uh, whenever that was, like, four years ago or whatever, uh, it, just, it just hit me on all the right cylinders. So... Yeah, it, it's the kind of like really silly that isn't um, really broad. Mm. <laughs> it's a very specific silly that uh, that I that I think is going to either really work for you or really not. Mm. 
and it definitely worked for me. Um, and I am, you know, I, I loved, uh, the way the manager kind of goes out, not, not that he dies, uh, but just kind of the text uh, about him. Mm. Um, and I'm very excited to watch the sequel that came out, I think five years later. Uh, uh did you ever see that? Uh, I, I hate to rain. I hate like to rain it. on parades. It was, it was Jesus. not, it was not as okay. good from what I remember. <laughs> that, uh, so Ke- Kevin, if you, I mean, it sounds like you like this a lot and his movies, most of his movies are not like this, but the <laughs> style of humor mm. is there, is present okay. in all of his movies. And the guy who plays the manager, Matty Pelampaugh is the lead of several mm. and he is, he's just, he's very, very good in all of those yeah i like him uh he's on the i think it's the last last segment in a uh, night on earth yeah. yeah yes yeah i was just looking i was just looking that up i, I remember thinking that that, that uh, jordan had said that too mm-hmm. that guy was the cab driver in the snow section of night on mm-hmm. earth cool all right well now it's oh, my uh, turn also right? oh, 70 no, 78 minutes 78 <laughs> yeah minutes. oh beautiful yeah. beautiful under 80 he got yeah. to. uh well i'll talk about my uh my number 33 criterion challenge pick i'm behind i think what number are you on jr so it was 37 and i did oh, uh Jesus. i looked it up like going by fridays how many fridays yeah. we've had uh we need to be at 35 as of yesterday okay so i'm two behind so that's no big deal um so I watched uh, My Darling Clementines, my Western pick, and I actually blind bought this uh, because it's not on the channel right now. Uh, I bought it at the sale in July. Uh, directed by John Ford from 1946 and starring Henry Fonda and Victor Mature and Walter Brennan and Ward Bond and, uh, I, uh, and John Ireland. And uh, I really liked this movie, which is a take on the, uh, the Wyatt Earp story and tombstone and the uh the clantons you know and i really enjoyed the sort of uh more of like it's more of like a family feud in this movie no no pun intended like uh, out like uh, unlike tombstone where it's sort of about this gang versus the Earp brothers in this movie it's about the clanton family and their patriarch who's just nasty man i really enjoyed walter brennan in this uh he just i don't know man he's just a greedy doesn't mind killing people doesn't mind stealing cattle and uh he runs afoul of henry fonda's wyatt earp and uh his brothers and victor mature who plays doc holliday and I really enjoyed all the Doc Holliday stuff. I like Victor Mature a lot, and I think it just has to do with the fact that I watched Samson and Delilah like 400 times when I was a kid, and so <laughs> I really always have liked him tremendously. I don't think I've seen any other film that he's in. <laughs> well, he can be really good, but man, can he be so bad. Really? There are movies where he's just fucking awful. Oh, man. Do you, do you think he's good in Samson and Delilah? No, I don't remember Samson and Delilah. Have I seen that? Probably. Yeah, you, you gave it a three, I think. Yeah, he's probably not good. I don't remember that. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I I haven't seen it since I was probably fifteen or sixteen, but I must have watched it a thousand. I mean, I had the double tape VHS. I yeah. used to just run that thing ragged. I mean, man. I I like him in this. I like him in this I, a lot. I really like this movie. Yeah, yeah, I like him in this a lot. Um, 
and I was so, sort of worried because going into this, I'm thinking of uh, Doc Holliday as that sort of like Savannah Southern draw thing. And he doesn't really try to do that, which is good because I don't know that he would be able to handle that. <laughs> and uh, he's just sort of like, you know, doing a normal voice, but his performance is very like passionate and involved. And I like the whole thing between him and the woman. And I must say also the other thing that just really puts this movie over the top and makes me like it is, uh, Henry Fonda is just fucking so likable, man. I just, this guy, <laughs> he's just the little things that he does with his performance here. Like there's a scene when he's sitting in a chair on the, on the, uh, porch of, some place I don't even know where he's at. He's on the porch of some store or something. He's sitting in a chair, and he's like facing a column, and he puts his foot on the column, like one foot, and he starts like rocking back in the chair and like lifting oh, yeah. his arms out. And stuff. It's just so like just like what are you doing? Great, great moment. Just a great little piece of improvisation mm. from Fonda, and uh, yeah, I just really liked his performance a lot. I really enjoyed him in it, and um, I watched the. Uh, there's a. A special. Uh, there's two versions of this film on the Blu-ray. There's the uh, theatrical cut, and then there's this preview cut that John Ford made to show executives, mm. and then the executives made him cut, you know, X amount of minutes out of it or something. And uh, I watched like the. I didn't watch the preview cut. I watched the theatrical version, but then I watched a video about the differences, and uh, it's pretty interesting. Mm. Some of the stuff that didn't make it in, and some of the stuff that did, and pretty good so so i I haven't seen this in a long time uh so i don't remember a lot of it but uh i remember this being cited as like some of the best use of like or most attractive use of day for night that technique uh like ever did it look good you know I'm having trouble remembering where when that even happens. There's cuz because in the video I watched of the differences, there's a scene that the his the film historian who like put together the preview cut cuz it's like it's missing parts of the first reel. It's missing the entire first reel apparently. Mm. So they had to like like do like fancy editing to create like uh uh matches for things and anyways. And he takes he took a he took a shot from later in the film and he lowered the exposure to make it look like nighttime. But that was him doing that. That wasn't Ford doing that. So I don't remember when it's nighttime in the film. I'm trying to remember when it's nighttime in the film. I couldn't say for sure. Mm. All right. Well, I guess. I mean, I don't remember anything looking bad in the movie. I, I obviously need looked- to rewatch this movie. Yeah, man. It looks it's it's a good it's a good film. Really well made. I liked it better than Stagecoach, which is also a Ford film. Yeah, how many uh, how many Fords are you up to now? Three. (laughs) Searchers, Stagecoach, and Clementine. Eventually, I'll watch a non-Western Ford, but I don't know. (laughs) Not looking forward to it. He's got a bunch of good Mm. ones. (laughs) Um, Did he, Jr. Did he do uh, Young Mister Lincoln? Yeah, he did. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, that's an. That's also Henry. Yeah, and that's another good. uh, Like Henry Henry Fonda is just fucking good. I should watch Grapes of Wrath also. That's him too. Damn. Yeah, man. I'm yeah, I really like Henry Fonda. I don't know. He's just every time I see him in something except for I didn't I didn't love him in uh Once Upon a Time in the West, mm. but he is playing a sort of despicable character in that movie. 
but man, is he likable. I really loved him in Oxbow Incident and, uh, <laughs> and this. So I'm psyched. So yeah, that's uh, my darling Clementine. Oh, and this movie is also uh, in my like subconscious from when I used to watch MASH all the mm. time. There's a whole episode that revolves around them trying to get a copy of this movie uh, on like 16 millimeter so that their colonel can watch it for like his birthday or something. Mm. Because he's a big Western head. Actually, their colonel is Harry Morgan. Oh. Who's in Oxbow Incident and uh, <laughs> and another movie I'm going to talk about, Yellow Sky. <laughs> so, <laughs> pretty crazy. I just assumed you were going to... I feel like in MASH it's always like they, they want the whatever movie stars in it. They're like, we got to see Linda Darnell or something. No, it's always like movies from the late forties and the early fifties. Uh, like I may actually started making a list on letterbox of all the movies that are mentioned or referenced on mash. So there's like state fair from 51 (sighs) and, uh, the moon is blue. And, uh, this movie, that was about the moon is blue was about the sexual content, right? The moon is blue is, uh, Alan Alda and, uh, Hawkeye and, and or BJ Hawkeye and BJ wanted to see the moon is blue, but then like, somebody's oh i think like frank was complaining like they can't watch that and you know it's too bad or risque or whatever mm. and so they went through like extreme links to get it they, they had the labels changed on the <laughs> things and then potter called in a favor and had the guy send the moon is blue but they had already switched the label so they sent them state fair instead <laughs> so state fair started playing at the end and they were all mad it was funny anyway mm. Oh, and the major and the minor. That's yeah, that's another one <laughs> that's mentioned. Anyway, that's a good one. Uh, that's that's a that's a weird movie. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's that's uh, that's it. That's my darling. That my darling Clementine. Mm. Whoever's okay. next, Kevin. Kevin? Uh, <laughs> so, <clears throat> so I watched Rolling Thunder, uh, starring Will William Devane and Tommy Lee Jones. And uh, from a script, why'd you watch that? Uh, Paul Schrader? Oh, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. You're on a Paul Schrader kick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was, I was trying to figure out why you. I was like, I thought maybe because William Devane was in it. I mean, like, that that <laughs> like, was a. He's a marathon man, so you, you love marathon man. Yeah, know? I mean, uh, yeah, because he's yeah, he's fucking great in marathon man. Um, yeah, but yeah, uh, m- mostly mostly for Schrader because, mm-hmm. you know, like like with uh, Robert Town. Like I know, like Robert Town has this, uh, you know, reputation for being an amazing screenwriter. And then as I go on, I'm like, why? So I'm. This is he wrote Chinatown. Yeah, that's why. That's yeah. the only reason. And that <laughs> Mel Gibson movie. Don't forget. What tequila? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, he also wrote uh, the last detail. So. Yeah, that's a great uh, one. So, but uh, he's good. He's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've been watching uh, a lot of uh, Schrader's written stuff. Okay. So Rolling Thunder is basically so Devane and Tommy Lee Jones are uh, Vietnam vets. They're coming home to San Antonio, as the opening song tells us, and so. William Devane is, you know, having trouble uh, getting back into civilian life. Like, his his wife is, like, preparing to leave him because, you know, everyone thought he was dead. He was a POW. And he's having, like, flashbacks of being tortured in the camps. And amid all this, 
uh, Roscoe P. Coltrane from Dukes of Hazard shows up and him and a bunch of guys steal all of the silver dollars that he was given to, because he's, you know, he's a vet and he's come home. Um, and they also mangled his hand in the uh, garbage disposal. So after that, uh, Devane is just kind of like, uh, whatever, whatever, whatever. It is what it is. And next thing you know, we're on a revenge uh, revenge ride. So I don't like it's ha- it's sort of like halfway between uh, taxi driver and first blood. Like I looked at the dates. Like first blood was published in uh, 72 and then the movie wasn't made until like 80 82 and Rolling Thunder came out in 77. So like yeah, like it's it's obviously, you know, Schrader, you know, taking like themes of loneliness and violence and with the Vietnam his favorite. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> uh so but then like you had the like added elements of like, oh, he's a marine, he's a badass with, you know, kind of hearkening to um First Blood. So uh it's fine uh William Devane like really like he doesn't really get very demonstrative at all even when he's you know killing people um Tommy Lee Jones should have been in it some more um but uh yeah, yeah, I agree. I remember thinking Tommy Lee. I could have used more time. Yeah, for sure. I like the. I remember the ending being good. Like the there's like a, a fight at the yeah, end. Yeah, like gun yeah, gunfight. Yeah, yeah. And um, in a whorehouse. Yeah. <laughs> and like as they're playing that same uh, cheesy sort of uh, Kenny Rogers uh, country song at the beginning and the end, I kept thinking like, okay, so like, um, whoever directed First Blood must have seen this and was like. Yeah, that's what we need for our movie too. Yeah. Right. So All right. JR. Uh I'll do um <clears throat> I'll do just one more and I'll mention that uh I watched both The Cell and Immortals um just so I could get a little bit more uh Tarsem Tarsem sing mm-hmm. in my life and uh, then I was like I don't I don't need any more of this guy in my life. <laughs> Um, and I did watch, uh, I watched day night, day night, uh, a movie that I had seen before, but remembered nothing about and was just like curious to revisit as I, I follow some people on Letterboxd that really like it. And, uh, you know, we're still doing like the, the 2007 thing for my Oscars group, even though I've like not been watching anything, Mm. uh, from that year. I need to to step that up but um, it's a good year man yeah uh yeah obviously and, and part of that's like i just I, ha- I haven't felt like revisiting like these monoliths of uh no i hear you of the century or just like that i've seen several times already but i i'm gonna i'm gonna get to it i'm it's not like i think i won't like there will be blood i'm just like you know no i agree do like, i need I, to revisit this i don't even think you need to rewatch it you just that's 
you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's, it's the winner. It's just that's it's just the, the one. Winner. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, Day Night Day Night is a a a, a Julia Loctev feature. She directed. Uh, I think it was 2015. Uh, she directed uh, the Loneliest Planet, which was about uh, two people uh, traveling in a f- in another country and uh, having a really weird negative experience and i love that movie uh this is about a um what looks to be like a pretty young you know maybe early 20s woman who arrives in new york city uh alone and it becomes clear that she has been uh, recruited and is part of a plan um to like uh, pull off a suicide bombing in times square in new york oh yeah i heard about this it's like it's very cleanly divided in in half like the first half is uh her arriving getting a hotel room and kind of going through the training and it is very isolated it is very claustrophobic we're always like with her she's alone or there are like two dudes in mass like talking her through some things um and it is uh it is very stressful like the way she's treated is is like horrible but you know she's just like she's she's fine with what's going on she's clearly decided this is what she wants to do uh and then the second half um opens up into the city as she goes out into the city to uh to to pull off the uh the bombing and you know of course like things go wrong not like we don't get anything as simple as like she has second thoughts or anything but uh there are there are hitches but the way it opens up is just like a is like a masterful feat of direction. It's it's so good. We go from like this uh, claustrophobia to like a very different kind of of isolation where she is clearly not a person who is okay in crowds or with other people in general. And uh, the way that uh, Lochtev pulls this off through the sound design and the way it looks and uh, and this performance from Louisa Williams is is awesome. I didn't love this movie the first time I watched it. I am very much in love with this movie now. And uh I you know, not that it's like perfect and um some stuff at the very end could be cleaned up a little bit, but it's it's really fucking good. It's a good um good advertisement for rewatching things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I wonder if I just like was I just like not paying attention very much when I watched this four years ago? I don't even know. Uh, I feel like I just maybe I got bored in the beginning and just kind of let the the rest of it just kind of wash over me. I, I don't know. I, fu- I fucked up because I I was really into it. Where did you watch it? Did you get on Netflix DVD? Yeah, Netflix DVD. Lame. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. Well, I'll have to uh, pay money to rent it. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, well, I watched uh, three of the renowned westerns. So these are westerns directed by Bud Bedecker and starring Randolph Scott. And uh, the first one I watched was Seven Men from Now, which was fine. And the last one I watched was Decision at Sundown, which was less fine. But The Tall T was the second one that I watched, and it was oh, really yeah. good. Uh, the Tall T is a movie about a fellow named Pat Brennan, just an old cowhand, you know, just loving life, 
rides up to see his buddy who works at the uh, switching station with his son. His son asks him to get him some candy at the, in town and then come back and bring it to him. And he says, you know what? No problem. Randolph Scott just being very affable here, smiling ear to ear. I hate Randolph Scott smiling. <laughs> I'll say that. He's the worst at smiling. He's like, he should be just brooding and angry all the time. That's what most of his characters are in these movies. But um, when he comes back to the switching station, a gang has taken over who's led by Richard Boone and uh, his two men, Skip Homier and a very young Henry Silva mm. playing a potentially racist character named Chink. Mm. <laughs> I think he's named Chink because he looks like, you know, Asian. Because, you know, Henry Silva plays Asian right. when he's young. <laughs> um, and uh, they take, they kill the guy and his son and they take Randolph Scott hostage along with Maureen O'Sullivan and her husband, Arthur Honeycutt. And, uh, or is it Arthur Honeycutt? No, it's John Hubbard. Sorry. Yeah, John Hubbard. Sorry. Anyways, they take them hostage, and the whole movie is essentially this hostage situation where they have these, they keep uh, Randolph Scott and Marine in a cave, and they send Marine's husband off to uh, get the father, get ransom from the father, who's very rich. And throughout the course of the film, Randolph Scott, of course, sort of falls in love with Maureen and she with him. But that's not the interesting part. The interesting part of this film and I think it's really good, is Richard Boone as the leader of the gang who is completely conflicted, doesn't like the gang members that he's leading. (laughs) Uh, They talk about women and drinking too much. He's not interested in that. You get the feeling that... I read an article about this actually on the... What is it called? Screen Slate or something? Um, Criterion actually uh, posted it on their letterbox page. But uh, it's, uh, it's almost like he's gay for randolph scott like he wants to be with him like he's more interested in talking with him like he wishes randolph scott was his friend and not these gang members but he's just forced into the situation where he had he has to like hold this guy hostage but he really likes him he even tells him he's like i like you i like i wish i didn't but i do it's like the, it's got it's very like sort of homoerotic undertones mm. which i don't think they were even necessarily going for um in 1957 low budget westerns like the tall t but it's really interesting to think about and richard boone's performance is really fucking good like better than it needs to be for a movie like Mm. this and all that his uh his dialogues all the dialogue between he and randall scott very well written uh i think randall scott is like essentially the weakest part of all three of these westerns but i understand why he's the star i understand why like he's a name like he's He's got like a a John Wayne energy, like the tall, you know, brooding stranger, um, low talking. (laughs) I don't know. He's not a good actor, but Richard Boone is. And I would recommend this movie highly just for the Richard Boone scenes. I mean, they're they're great. And the unfortunately, as is the case with many Westerns from this time, the ending totally undercuts his character's sort of subtle nuance. Mm. And they just make him into like a greedy villain at the end which is unfortunate but outside of that i think it's really wonderful and it's 78 minutes long so you gotta watch the tall tea and i'm gonna power through their other three of these uh next week yeah you haven't you know based on the list i made a long time ago uh that i never i didn't finish of bud bedeker's films you haven't gotten to the two my two favorite renowned westerns which are yeah 
Ride Lonesome and Buchanan uh, Rides Alone. Yeah, yeah. I think Ride. Alone. I think Ride Lonesome is his highest uh, rated on the Psygad mm. is followed by the Tall T. But uh, yeah, I want to watch that. And I'm also going to watch uh, Comanche Station, which is another Randolph Scott one that uh, is not on. No, Comanche Station is. There's another one though that's not right. Am I right about that? I don't know. All six of these are. There's one that's not though. Oh, Westbound. Westbound isn't. Mm. Isn't on Criterion, but um, I'm gonna watch that one too. Find it and watch it. So yeah, I'll have seen a bunch of Randolph Scott Randolph Scott movies <laughs> and Bud Bedecker movies. Was, uh, people I had never even heard of two weeks ago, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, really good, um, solid stuff. The Tall T, check it out. I actually have. I really, I really want to talk about these last two westerns. So I don't, uh, Kevin. What else you got? Do you have something else to talk uh, about? Real quick, I'll, I'll talk about. Uh, Go ahead. As I'm the only one who did my homework this week. Oh, yeah, Jr. Yeah, yeah. I, I fucked up, bro. No, that's my <laughs> fault because I, I, had, I had canceled and then I came back and said we could do mm. it. So that's my fault. He would have got. Yeah, it. I, you know, it. I was, I was due for a comeuppance. You know, I'm, I'm constantly <laughs> bitching about, uh, you know, you guys mm. not, not making the time. But uh, I did get 40 minutes in. Oh, so okay. I, I'm, uh, I, I saw a little bit of it, and I will finish right. it. Uh, so, yeah, the, the homework from last week, last episode's uh, Letterbox Roulette, uh, Terror's Advocate. Excuse me. Uh documentary by uh is it barbet or barbet barbet I, you know i Schroeder? i hear people say barbet but i mean it's you know it's okay. french so it's probably not I, yeah I mean, uh, let's let's stick with that yeah. b schroeder uh <laughs> about um uh, french lawyer jacques verges who apparently like like if you're a dictator and you need a lawyer, he's your guy. Uh, Like they do, they do this list uh, during, during the end credits of like all of these, like, you know, military dictator, despot, military dictator, despot, despot, military dictator, military dictator. And all of them have been defended by this guy, Jacques Vergès. I mean, the, the, he's the introduction of the movie is him you know, just like saying how the the Khmer Rouge guys just like yeah. in Cambodia, like yeah, not that bad. You know, like the amount of bodies they found just doesn't equal yeah. what uh, what the public has been told. Yeah, I, uh, and I was like, oh man, I'm I'm yeah, fucked. I, this this movie's gonna fuck yeah, me up. like I, I've I think the yeah I think the first speaking person in the film is Paul Pot saying you know yeah, yeah this Jock for Jess he's a good guy. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, as as they go as they go on in this documentary, like you know, they they um, they they talk. You know, obviously, there's a lot about like um, uh, the French relationship, the French's relationship with uh, Algeria, and they even show a couple of clips from Battle of Algiers. Um, yeah, so th- this guy is like anywhere there's like a revolutionary, like doesn't matter what their plight is, basically, like he's there to defend them. Um, uh, he <laughs> usually he doesn't win the cases necessarily, but uh, his clients usually don't end up dying. So, 
I, I guess you could say he's got a relatively high success rate. Um, but as, as you watch the documentary though, like you get this feeling that like, yeah, he's like really into like revolutionary causes, but like he himself is not very, like he's very bourgeoisie. Um, like they talk about like, uh, his first high profile case was, uh, this woman who, um, um, who set a bomb in a milk bar like you see it in that scene in battle of algiers and like he um he defends her and she gets off and then they get married and then like re like relatively soon after they get married he just disappears for eight years and nobody really knows where he went but um but yeah like he's yeah he's for the revolution but uh he's not giving up his good times so like like he's yeah like he's not going to become a you know um like he's not a Che Guevara by any stretch of the imagination um and this is like probably the last time I can step in just because this is as far as I've gotten mm. in the movie but it's it's really interesting like so introduced defending the Cambodian genocide uh and then we go into this case, which is early career, and he is defending uh, who the French people believe, or in Parisian people especially believe, like is like an awful terrorist. Mm. Uh, and it, it is interesting that like that cause, you know, Algerian independence, has been vindicated, and thus like it's almost like uh, the crime is not lessened, but it's it's not held as you know some kind of like nine eleven moment mm. for French people. Yeah. Um, so it's like he takes on this case and, and the, the cause, the cause is now viewed in a different light, which almost makes us like, like it's as though Schroeder's trying to make us view him in a different light, even though he's already shown us that this person is not a guy we should yeah. like, uh, it is, it is, uh, it's like antagonistic filmmaking, mm. I would say. Uh, at this point but yeah yeah so yeah continue i'm curious how this this keeps going so it keeps going through like uh you know there's there's a lot of stuff about um uh stuff in cambodia more stuff um with like uh french uh torture of people around the world and um uh, like all of like all of these different um you know uh liberation groups like it reminded me of um so like in life of brian uh like there's a running gag where it's like you know like are you the are you the judean people's front fuck off we're the people's front of judea and um uh, you know like i thought we were the popular front we're the people's front whatever happened to the popular front you know like <laughs> there's so much of that in this movie that it's like, oh yeah, I've, I'd forgotten. Like that's where Monty Python got it. Um, but yeah, um, and yeah, it, it, it's at a certain point the documentary kind of goes on, and it's less and less about him as a person, and more about all of these revolutionary uh, things that he's sort of had a hand in. Um, but uh. Yeah, when I got to the end of this, I di I really didn't know what to make of it. Like, I wasn't sure how to rate it. 
like I gave it a three only because I guess, you know, like it didn't make me at no part in the documentary was I actively like this, you know, this documentary is shit. Like I'm tired of watching this. Um, and you know, it's interesting in and of itself, but this is something that I think merits more reading and, you know, apparently I liked it better than I liked, uh, General Idi Amin Dada, the other Schroeder documentary that I watched. Um, oh my god, I forgot. To yeah, that. this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Barbara Schroeder is an antagonistic filmmaker. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, you guys should watch uh, Desperate Measures. Oh, okay. His uh, thriller starring Michael Keaton and Andy Garcia. Mm. The fuck? He also did Coco, the gorilla right. On, uh, all on Criterion. All these are on Criterion, except Desperate Measures. Yeah, yeah. And Bar and Barfly, his other movie that. Oh I've right. Seen. Yeah, I um, uh, like. I downloaded Barfly. I haven't watched yeah. it though. I've seen uh, La Valle, um, one of, one of the movies that uh, Pink Floyd did the soundtrack for, which uh, their album ended up being called Obscured by Clouds, and I never got around to yeah. s- never got around to seeing more, but I would like to. I have uh, that obscured by clouds on eight. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me why. Yeah. I do. Um, all right. Well, uh, I uh, will just finish up by saying that uh, I watched. Finally, got around to watching Day of the Outlaw, directed by Andre de Toth after Jr.'s. Oh no. Five star mm. rating uh, a couple of years ago. I've been meaning to watch it for a long time, and it just, I, the reason I watched it is because I found out that it was on uh, YouTube, <laughs> which I did not realize, so if it's on YouTube, it's easy to watch, and uh, I liked it, I liked Day of the Outlaw quite a bit, um, starring Robert Ryan and Burl Ives, and it's a story about uh, this rancher who is uh, has an issue with homesteaders being on his land. And uh, at the beginning of the film, he's threatening to burn down their homes, like he's getting kerosene ready and to ride out and go burn <laughs> out their homes. And then this group of uh, ex-soldier, mercenary, outlaw people led by Burl Ives come into town, and they are primed to start raping the women. They really want to rape all the women. That's their like main thing. And Burl Ives is having to keep them at bay, saying... You're not allowed to do that. That's not what we're about. There's no drinking. We're on duty. That kind of thing. And uh, they're not happy about it, but they listen to Burl Ives. He's got control over them. Uh, Jack Bruin is his character's name. And uh, But unfortunately for the town, Jack Bruin is uh, shot in the chest, and he's dying slowly, internal bleeding. So when he dies, it's like a pressure cooker. It's like when he dies, these guys are going to be let loose to do whatever they want. And it's going to be a big, bad situation. And so Blaze Starrett, played by Robert Ryan, is attempting to get the women out of the town. He's attempting to talk these guys down to figure out, like, what to do. They're trying to, uh, uh, you know, get out of this horrible situation. And uh, it's just a beautifully shot snow western. Really great real snow, you know. Not shot on sets for the most part, just like a lot of outdoor snow filled photography, beautiful mountain scenery, 
and uh, a great fist fight in the snow where they just beat the ever-loving shit out of Robert Ryan after uh, he tries to stop them from raping the women, of course. And um, I the ending is the thing that really kind of bothered me about it, only because I, it's not the film's fault. I had this image in my mind of they're going to go. He leads the men away from the town at the end. He's like, here's a way out. So when the soldiers come, they won't, you know, find you. I'll lead you through the mountains. And when they go into the mountains, I'm thinking, okay, now he's it's going to be like your classic McCabe and Mrs. Miller ending, right? He's going to get alone. He's going to have a gun and he's going to start killing these fuckers one by one in the woods. And that is not at all what happens. Instead, essentially, these guys, they turn on each other and then the weather turns on them. And, assen- and essentially their own sort of uh, greed and immoral, amoral behavior sort of does them in. And there's a great, the final sort of sequence is, I mean, p- the penultimate sequence, the last fellow who's alive from the gang is trying to shoot Robert Ryan and his hands are frozen. And so he can't work his gun. So he's like, it's great because he's been wanting to rape women the whole time. And now he's like, his, his gun is like his dick and he's impotent, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which is, which I thought was really good. Uh, and then, you know, there's, of course, the final scene where Robert Ryan comes back and everybody's happy, happy ever after. But, um, yeah, I think uh, through no fault of the film whatsoever, you know, it just dropped a star for me because I really wanted that final. I just wanted to see these guys get fucked up, and they do get fucked up, but it's not in the way that I was mm, expecting. Yeah. So, And I I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons I loved it. Like, it's right. so, it's such like a, a nasty, kind of like violent movie like especially for this time it just feels like and maybe more like in just like tone and feel nasty Mm -hmm. um but yeah the way the way that all comes back on them i thought was was really well done and and the the snow and snow yeah and i think uh obviously tarantino has watched this movie because there's a lot of things that it has in common with um just little like visual touches that he brought into uh i just watched Hateful Eight recently, like rewatched mm. it, and there's a lot of things in that movie that he sort of brings into, like uh, from this one. It seems like, like there's the like for it's mainly like the jars of jelly beans. Like they they shoot these <laughs> jars of jelly beans a couple of times. They show them. Now, they don't shoot them, but they show mm. them. You know, and it just reminded me of like that because I remember watching Hateful Eight and being like, I don't think I've ever seen like candy in jars in the old west before. But it makes mm. sense that they would have that. It's just like I never thought about that. You know, but um. Yeah. Okay. So then I watched that led me to Yellow Sky. Although Yellow Sky was already on my watch list because of Gregory Peck. After I watched The Gunfighter, and then Wellman directed it, of course. And I love Oxbow. And uh, but there was a, a post on film uh, Facebook film forum where somebody was talking about Day of the Outlaw, how they watched Day of the Outlaw, and then they immediately watched Yellow Sky after, and the similarities between them. And there are a lot of similarities. Yellow Sky is a film about a group of a, a gang led by Gregory Peck um, who are on the run. They the, It opens with the most casual bank robbery <laughs> you've ever seen. It's amazing. Gregory Peck and his one of his gang members walk into a bank. He doesn't even pull his guns. He literally just goes, everybody just lay down on the floor. And then he, <laughs> and then he grabs the manager and he brings him over and they get the gold and they run. And, uh, but it's just really well done, and um, they 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 they're on the run from the army who wants to capture them, 
and they end up having to ride through uh, these salt flats and the desert for days and days and days and the army doesn't chase them because they're like okay well they're dead you know they went into mm. the desert and the first 20 25 minutes of the movie is just them going through the desert and like almost dying being you know severe dehydration they're arguing amongst each other they're fighting each other for their water and stuff uh the horses are dying and it's just really like unusual for it feels unusual for a western from this time for any movie from this time to be so bleak at the like right Mm. out of the gate like it's just absolutely like hopeless and they finally make it across the desert to this town called Yellow Sky. And what's amazing is that they see Yellow Sky in the distance. They're like, that's a town. And they start going towards it. And when they get there, it's a ghost town and there's nobody there. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, it's just like bleak on bleak, right? But then uh, they, they're, they're, it turns out that uh, Ann Baxter is there, or her character named Mike. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, her grandfather are there. And the whole movie is sort of this tension between... Gregory Peck and his gang and these two, uh, the, this woman and her grandfather. And, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of problematic behavior. I'm not going to lie. Like Gregory Peck is the star of this film and you want to like him. He doesn't do great things. Some, he, uh, does some pretty questionable things by our standards today. I mean, even, I feel like even by the forties, it would have been sort of like, ew, like, why is he doing that? But, um, this movie is just so beautifully shot and so well acted and Peck is great. And, uh, this guy, Richard Widmark. Oh yeah. Who, Widmark is fucking, I don't, he's uh, the best. Yeah. What is he? I mean, I don't know. I've seen him in other stuff, I guess I've seen, what have I seen? I see a murder in the Orient yeah. Express. Okay. Yeah. So I haven't seen hardly anything that he's been in, but, but he's really fucking, good I would highly him. recommend, uh, uh, the one I talked about last time, uh, pick up on South street. Yeah. He, the movie okay. I didn't overall, I didn't think was great, but he is which is wrong, but <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, but Wid- Widmark is fucking fantastic. Yeah, he's sort of the antagonist in the film. Like, there's a certain mm. point at which the gang is essentially mutinying, and he's like sort of the 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 outspoken mutineer. But um, I don't know. I I highly recommend it. I think that the the thing that stops it from being a five for me. Outside of the, again, that there's problematic behavior that's not really, I can't figure out a way to rationalize it in my head, like why Gregory Peck does some of the things he does, and it kind of bothers me. But the the real problem is that the last maybe three minutes of this movie does so much work to undermine all of the good shit that's happened in the movie Mm. so far, and to reverse certain character motivations it's just like it wants to end on a happy ending so bad it feels very like shot after the fact you know studio notes it's Thanks, nasty Hayes code yeah right exactly but um outside without those three minutes it would be a five for me i mean it's really really great and just <laughs> just simple stuff like seeing horses in a like on a dry desert like bed mm. you know like with, where and they're, they're sinking into the dirt and they can't like walk right it's just so weird. Like it's just shit I've never seen in like a Western before. It's just so bizarre looking and amazing and beautiful black and white photography. That's another thing I wanted to say was that black and white Western, like Westerns should be in black and white, right? I mean, like I don't, these, the, the, uh, Bud Bedecker Westerns don't look nearly as good mm. as the, as these movies. And I mean, I obviously Bud Bedecker shooting on a much smaller budget and a much smaller scale, 
but like that nasty technicolor oh, yeah. of the 50s just doesn't work for for westerns at all like it's so much better to see like that clean high contrast black and white photography mm. i think i don't know this movie looks amazing and apparently this is what's weird about this is that this whole last week i don't know what started me thinking about this but i was i was thinking about how they take Shakespeare and put him into different genres, right? Like they have crime films about that are based on Shakespeare. They have comedies that are based on Shakespeare. And I was like, well, there's no like Westerns that are Shakespeare plays, you know? And apparently this is like a loose adaptation of the Tempest, but I don't really, it's very mm. loose. I don't, I don't see how it really relates very much at all outside of like broad strokes. Mm. But I was thinking like, wouldn't it be great to have a Western where the, the actors are speaking Shakespeare's dialogue, but in the old West, like when, I don't know like, how has this never been done? And I tried googling it and stuff, and I couldn't find. I found a, an example of a play mm. that was put on one time where they did Taming of the Shrew, and it was set in like the Old West, and Morgan Freeman was in it. But um, I don't know. Mm. I just would be really interested to see something like that. I don't know what play would necessarily would work for that specific type of uh, story. But anyway, Yellow Sky, uh, highly recommend it. And I'm going to be watching more Wellman for sure. I got to watch Wings because that's the the big one that I haven't watched. And I guess A Star is Born too. But yeah, I, I mean, I really want to watch more stuff by him. I like. I don't know. I just liked all of his films mm. so far. He's he has really good movies, but he, you know he also he, he was a jobber. Worked yeah, quick, of quick and worked the quick and dirty, guy. and uh, yeah, he's got bad movies too. Mm. Sure. I think I'm just going to mainly focus. Actually, after I watch Wings, I kind of just want to watch more of his 40s shit because it seems like it's the stuff that came out in the 40s was really good. So, but um, have you seen Battleground, JR? Oh, you have. You gave it a three. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> what? It's got Van, Van Johnson in it. <laughs> Who? Yeah, watch. I'm going to watch it. Fuck watch, it. Huh? Watch whatever. Don't, I don't care don't what, I don't care what you gave it. Yeah. You haven't even seen Yellow Sky. Correct. I have not. I beat you. It's on. It's on YouTube, <laughs> by the way, and it's really good. Really good uh, copy ah. of it on YouTube. All right. So anyway, I want, I want um, to watch it. Yeah, do it. Definitely do it. Uh, that's it for me. All right. So let's move on to our deep dive, which is Kevin's pick from 1996, Basquiat, or as Kevin said, Basquiat. <laughs> Just kidding, Kevin. I said basket. Um, oh, you yes. said basket. That's okay. That's that's you know maybe in John John uh, Mitchell Haiti, basket where he's from, right? John yeah. Mitchell basket, <laughs> uh, which is a film about the artist uh, Jean Michel Basquiat, who is from New York City, and uh, in the eighties came to fame as a painter in the art world, and also stars just the biggest fucking cast. yeah man. Of people, man. David Bowie, Dennis Hopper, Gary Oldman, Benicio del Toro, Claire Florlani, Michael Wincott in a role that we will have to talk mm. about. Parker Posey, Courtney Love, Tatum O'Neill, Christopher Walken, Willem Dafoe, Sam Rockwell, etc., etc., etc. Lots of uh, actors in the Rockets. Red Glare is in this mm. fucking thing. Love seeing Rockets. Red Glare in anything. Don't see enough of him. And uh, yeah. So what did uh, what did we think about Basquiat? Directed by Julian Schnabel or Schnabel, mm. who knows? I did think it was interesting. Like, so there's a big thread through the movie of um, 
of basket like you know why are they why are they making such a big deal about me being black and he's the star of the movie and he doesn't get uh the first credit <laughs> i think he's like number like three or four down the line like i understand obviously bowie and um you know hopper are like bigger stars than he was at the time but you know it's the star of the movie the uh the name of the movie so like yeah maybe maybe you put him first i don't know (laughs) now that you mention it i don't think i said that (laughs) (laughs) jeffrey wright jeffrey wright plays uh Jean-Michel Bath. It might have been. Is it his first film? Uh, I mean, I one of them, probably. He, He's really young. He is young. Um, I'm trying to look back and see what his first. No, he was in stuff mm. before this. He was in Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. All right. Well. Uh, I mean, but yeah, he's not. A, he's not. A, he's not yeah, a big yeah. star at the time. I mean, you could argue he's not a big star now. Uh, but he wasn't a huge, he wasn't a name mm. back then. The, are you guys fans of Basquiat's work, the painter? I wasn't really that familiar with it. Like I remembered some of it from, uh, an art class that I took at LSU. But, um, other than that, like I, I, I think I remembered something about like, uh, John Lurie talking about being, um, at a party that he was at with like a bunch of other people. Um, but yeah, uh, Hmm. I mean, I read his Wikipedia page, but (laughs) you know, of course, of course, JR, do you like his work? I'm totally unfamiliar with his work. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, you know, total, total Philistine when it comes to, uh, to this kind of art. This guy's a neophyte, man. Uh, I, am mildly familiar mm. with it uh in as much as i took art classes in college and they talked about him and i've uh i have seen one of his works in mm. person which i did, was not a big fan of uh but yeah i don't th- i don't think i like his art very much but that's not about them that's not, nothing to do with the movie but i just don't i don't know i don't know if i get it mm. i feel you know what it feels like to me it feels like uh like I'm watching the film and I don't know if Schnabel is making a comment about this or not, but like his, his work, he's doing his work in the basement in that one scene, like they get in that space Mm -hmm. to work in. Right. And then here comes Tatum O'Neill who's dressed as a yuppie and her husband who is obviously like a, you know, hedge fund manager or something. And they're looking at the artwork and they love it. You know, they're just so great. Oh my God, it's so great. But they're not saying anything about it. They're just like, it's great. Uh, it's too green. And it just feels like, yeah, it just feels like they're, art is such bullshit. Mm. You know, like the whole, like the art world is just bullshit. Yeah. Like, it's just like whatever people, it's like whatever Gary Oldman and Dennis Hopper and uh, uh, Y Uncle Wincott have decided mm. is good, is good. And everybody must agree with it now. And it just doesn't, it's just, I don't, it makes no, it's just completely arbitrary, you know? Yeah. It's like, and in a different, 10 years earlier, his work would have been laughed at. 10 years later, his art, his work would have been laughed at. But he came around at just the right moment where everybody was like, oh, like somebody said, oh, this is great. Mm. And everybody was just like, okay, that's great. Let's 
charge people thousands of dollars. Yeah, for and it's like that's kind of the thing. Like, like from all the art classes that I've you know taken and the little bit that I've read about like surrealism and Dadaism and stuff like that. Like, um, yeah, it's very much like these this group these groups of people just happen to be doing a certain thing and for whatever mm-hmm. reason it happens to catch on and it becomes a big thing and then uh yeah and that's not to say that Basquiat is not mm. talented and doesn't have something to say like i have no doubt that he did uh and that he was talented i mean obviously like he's not doing something unoriginal mm. or anything like that i mean his work is very like unusual and unoriginal and, and very original but like it just seems completely arbitrary. Mm. That, you know, he's and they talk a little bit about that in the film, like how everybody surrounding Basquiat is an artist, yeah. right? Like even Willem Dafoe, the electrician, is an artist. Like everybody's an artist, but the, he got plucked out of obscurity mm. because somebody happened to see one of his paintings one time. You know, and it's just completely random. Yeah, by yeah, because I think like very much, um, uh, kind of. You know, <laughs> I was watch. I was watching a. Um, I watch uh, the Two Bears, One Cave podcast a lot with Tom Segura and Burt Kreischer. Mm-hmm. And they, like, on another podcast, like, Burt Kreischer had, like, gone off about people talking about hard work being the key to success. And it's like, like, he wa- he wanted them to acknowledge how much luck plays a factor in people's success. And, like, you know, um, you know, just a little bit here, a little bit there. You know, if something had gone differently, then everything would be, everything would have changed. And, like, I think, you know, like, if Basquiat hadn't, you know, just randomly seen Andy Warhol one day and, like, went to sell him some of these postcards that he was making, then, I don't know, maybe maybe it takes longer for him to get recognition. Maybe he never gets recognition. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, like... Yeah, like that. There's that phrase, you know. I don't know much about art, but I know what I like. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it, it it sounds like, you know, it sounds like, like most of the people who say it are, you know, will, you know, are people like you generally don't think of as having any kind of artistic bend to them. Like they can't appreciate it, but it really is the truth. I don't know art, but I know what I like. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Just not to yeah, get off yeah, on a yeah. tangent about Basquiat, mm. the person. I mean, it's got nothing to do with the movie, but Jared, what'd mm. you think of this movie? Um, <clears throat> uh, I thought, I don't know. I have a poor connection, so I can't tell how delayed I am. Sorry. Uh, yeah, you don't yeah, sound delayed you're at not all delayed. Okay. Sorry. Cool. Uh, I would say that, um, all the things you guys talked about at the art world are in the movie, but it doesn't seem like uh, Schnabel has much to say about those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think that Schnabel ha- presents much of a viewpoint on on anything about uh, Basquiat, and I don't really think this gives us a good picture of who Basquiat uh, was. You know, as I, I think as hard as like Jeffrey Wright is trying to make this an interesting performance. I think uh, the way it kind of comes together is just sort of like almost like cute and he stays like a total mystery and we see like we get some of his process but like Snubble doesn't make anything about his process interesting besides you know he's got a hundred pieces that he's working on at once when he's in that basement. Um, I 
I don't know exactly what I think about this movie, but I think that I really don't like it. Um, and and I, I've been curious. I really want to hear what you guys have more to say about it because it's like I can't really decide if I don't like it. But so many things while I was watching it just like really bugged me. I mean, like a lot. Like when when I got to the when I got to the end of the movie, I was kind of like, oh well, this is kind of your, I don't know, stock biopic. Like, I would say that, you know, like, it's got an amazing cast, and I think, you know, I I wouldn't say any of them are necessarily phoning it in, but it is kind of like, oh, I saw I saw a basket of painting once. I'll, you know, I'll be in the movie. And so that, um, that, that cast, that cast is a huge issue for me. It's like the, in the second half of the movie, um, and parts of the first half, too, like, like why is Willem Dafoe there for one scene as, as an electrician? That's that's absurd. Schnabel and Dafoe are buddies. Mm-hmm. That's uh, why. Okay, sure. And that he's in he's a lot of that, he's in he's in a couple of his other films in one scene also right, okay. apparently. And that just yeah. that feels ridiculous. And it's not just Willem Dafoe, but Willem Dafoe is just funny because that moment kind of feels like all right, maybe this will be like a mentor, and then like <laughs> yeah. and then Jeffrey Wright or Basquiat just like walks out, which you know that's 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 a pretty good moment in the movie um but you know especially after he's famous it's like the it's like he uh basket is just like this kind of mysterious center around which all of these other people are are doing like yeah like he is the center of a revolving thing of like action but the action is really just uh actors from the 90s famous actors from the 90s impersonating other people uh and i i just didn't love that it's like david bowie is occasionally interesting as as andy warhol Mm. Uh, and their relationship might be interesting but we don't get a ton of it Mm. uh and it's like this dennis hopper character is really or the 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 art collector bruce uh like bishon or bruno bishon hoffer or something like that um Seems like he could be, yeah, could be like a really interesting, like weird, the sort of like leech character, but we don't get enough of him for him to be that. Uh, and like, you know, Parker Posey, the the gallery owner, um, like, could be like, you know, total villain. Uh, also, could be an interesting character. And they, you know, the way they have her like at that dinner after she has, uh, you know, she was mean to him when he was nobody. She wants all of uh, his work now. But then, like, that last scene with her uh, where she just kind of treats Basquiat as, like, this sad figure felt strange. I just I didn't like these almost cameos from these famous people. I just didn't. Mm. I think that the level of the, uh, st- like, the star meter on a lot of these actors... Uh, Dennis Hopper and Courtney Love and Tatum O'Neill in particular and Sam Rockwell, but of course he wasn't a big mm. star then. And Defoe and Walken. Yeah. Uh, it's distracting. And what about uh, the fucking Vincent Gallo just sitting at the table at dinner? He's playing himself. I don't though. care. He was actually he was actually there. I don't even care. <laughs> uh, yeah. You cannot have. They were in a band. You know, Michael man. Win- <laughs> Michael Wincott comes up and you know has his scene where he's freaking out and it's like you cannot have Michael Wincott 
at this time with this hair and Vincent Gallo in the same scene. You cannot. <laughs> they look the same. What? They look oh. exactly the same. They cannot be there together. No. Um, I think that uh, I agree with you about the performances, though. I've, I wrote one of my notes was that David Bowie is doing an impression of Andy mm. Warhol. He's got like all the mannerisms, but they're very exaggerated and it's kind of goofy. And I like, you know, you know me, I love David Bowie. Uh, but I think as an actor, he is hit and miss, like mm. very hit and miss. And this is a miss for me. And I think Jeffrey Wright, likewise, is doing an impression of Basquiat. I think he watched interviews with Basquiat, and he's like, "This is how he moves, and this is how he stutters, mm. and and that's what I guess that's what that's one approach. You know, that's how uh, most actors might do it." But it just feels very sort of disingenuous. And I think Jeffrey Wright's a, doing a better job than Bowie is uh, because he's a professional actor who acts for a living and Bowie's not. But, um, yeah, I just I didn't really like either of those performances uh, at all. And to have those at the sort of center of the film was problematic. Uh, I wonder – I feel I, like Wright could have been better if, if Schnabel had cared more about just – what what he is given to do mm. I, I just think he, he ends up being so passive and he's so unknowable in what he's thinking uh, like with, with these kind of like loyalty shifts that we get it just it's like we don't get a full impact of that because you know it's it's like he's, he's more interested in making him like this eccentric than making him a person mm. and I also agree with what Kevin said about at the end of the film, you feel like this is a biopic. Like it feels very generic. And I, I agree. Like it feels like it hits hitting all the sort of generic goofy biopic Mm. moments. Like when Michael Wincott discovers him and he's just freaking out, he's so excited about this painting. And it's just like, there's no way that's how that happened. Like there's nobody would be this excited about this fucking Mm. painting. Like you just go talk to the guy and you know, have dinner or whatever and figure it out. But it's just, it seems insane to me that Schnabel would make a movie like this about Basquiat, who's an artist that I imagine, I would imagine Schnabel probably knew mm. because he comes from the painting. Yeah. Uh, Gary Oldman is supposed to be Schnabel. Right. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, and it's like, he makes this kind of generic paint by numbers no pun intended, Basquiat picture, but then he makes this other film about Van Gogh, which is not like any biopic I've ever Mm. seen. Like, uh, At Eternity's Gate is like the opposite of a biopic. Like, it's abrasive and challenging. And And this movie is not at all. And Diving Bell and the Butterfly, also a biopic, is, you know, regardless of what you think about, the the format is is attempting something, like, just absolutely wild. Uh, Right. The structure, rather. Mm. Sure. Right, because it's told from his perspective, but he's paralyzed yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Is that right? I haven't seen it. So, but um, I uh, so yeah, I just I thought it was kind of like a wasted opportunity almost. Like I think Basquiat, the 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 man, is an interesting mm. uh, topic to make a film about, and I don't know that it really <sighs> so uh, did much with shit, it. Here. This is his. This is like his first movie, right? And, yeah, I know, think so. Uh, Schnabel is an artist, a painter. Uh, if we had gotten this movie in like 2015, it probably would have been so much better. It, just because it's clear that uh, Shabba has incorporated a lot of different like artistic influences into mm. his into his movies, 
regardless of what you think about them, and I don't really like At Eternity's Gate very much. It's like uh, these are not these are not pa- uh, paint by numbers standard films. Uh, he is an interesting filmmaker now, mm. and it seems like he was not as much back then. Uh, there, you know, a great moment that we could have used more of that very beginning where he calls the uh, the suicide hotline to uh, to record it and then remix mm. it, where uh, we're getting. You know the shots of him, of him and uh, Benicio del Toro, mm. uh, just kind of sitting in the bed while he's talking to the suicide um, guy. Uh, you know, I thought that was was cool. It's it's a easy trick, a little simple bit of editing, uh, but I liked it. And we get very little of that. Mm. I thought like him looking at the sky and seeing the surfers. It's an interesting idea and it's an interesting image. But it like I, you know, it just feels like very. It just feels like something Schnabel like. He woke up one day. He's like, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Let's mm. do that. And it doesn't mean means nothing. You know, it's just like he sees the world so differently. It's just so generic. It's just so like how do you, how do we explain how special Basquiat's mm. worldview is and why he's doing the kind of art he's doing? Well, let's see him like hallucinating and seeing surfers in the yeah. sky, and let's see him having his you know this hallucinatory experience at the beginning where he's his mother sees a crown on him i don't know it just that kind of shit doesn't work Mm. for me um i really the other thing that really doesn't work at all for me and it's the main thing i hate about the film is are the needle drops i hate (laughs) almost every song that is picked out for the soundtrack i uh i don't know who's doing them but i know there's a tom waits song in there somewhere everything is really bad this 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 lilty piano, reverby piano with these awful, abrasive, angry vocals. I just, it's not for yeah, me. Yeah, especially like uh, in the, the, I don't know what song it is, but the one in the opening credits, I was like, it, it was physically oh. making me ill. What? Yeah, I, I, I love that song. That's, uh, that's the Pogues. No. Fairy Tale of New York. No, 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 no. It's, no, no, oh I, I don't. You, you don't like that song. I do love that you song. Don't like I it. love the Pogues. Stop it. Love the Pogues. Uh, I don't like <laughs> the song in the movie. But I love the books. right. Uh, I I I they I didn't like that they uh to avoid having to avoid the female that sings in that song they like repeat verses mm. uh which is really weird like they they loop the song so the song goes longer than it should without Ugh. the variation that it has I mean that's bad uh, but I always been a fan of that song mm. I do like the song that they play I don't know when they play it but. It's the song that Beck sampled for Jackass. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I think it might be a zombie song or something. I don't know, but it's. I noticed it when it started playing. I was like, "That's a little weird." They're playing a like a song from the '90s in this movie, the '70s, but then it's it's not Jackass. It's the song that he sampled mm-hmm. for Jackass. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I I thought uh, I initially when Michael Wincott mm. shows up, uh, and I love Michael Wincott. Yeah. Okay. I really, really like him. I wish he was in stuff more. Now, uh, when he shows up, I hate his narration. His narration is inconsistent because he narrates two times in the movie, once at the very beginning and once like an hour and a half Mm. into the film. And I really, really can't stand that. And I thought... I, I Wincott's performance grew on me, but I it's nothing like he's ever done before, you know, this Mm. flamboyantly... Uh, over the top. It's got a really weird, like, uh, gay affect yeah, to his I th- voice. Yeah, I think like which well, like the his he's, he's gay, right? 
Yeah, I mean that's yeah, fun. and that's yeah. I mean he's playing that. I just mean like Wincott doing that is very unusual because he's so gravelly normally. Yeah. You know? yeah, but it reminds me of him in talk radio when he plays like the surfer dummy dude drug addict guy in talk mm. radio, and he's like got like the sort of Keanu Reeves thing going on. Yeah, like that's that's something unusual for him too. I think he's I mean he's a good he's a good actor like he knows what he's doing, but it's just sort of. It took a while to get used to. Yeah, and I think that, like the particular affectation that he's putting on is one that you've seen like a thousand times. It's like, oh, yeah, that's the gay guy in the movie. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I do like his line though, where he says, "Suck my pussy, yeah. you star." <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that line. I like a couple of lines actually. Benicio has one. You pound the pussy. What else do you yeah. want? <laughs> like you know, I like Benicio as yeah. his friend. Yeah. You know, I think he's all right. Uh, Benicio was a recipient of like one of the worst moments from Bas- Basquiat, as as in like uh, like poorly written almost. Mm. Like like that scene in the cab where he's mad. Oh yeah, at Benicio del Toro just like made no sense. It was the only yeah it comes out of nowhere. And like Basquiat's personality hasn't changed in the sense like he's still like the weirdo. He doesn't care where he's supposed to be. He doesn't care uh, what he's supposed to say <laughs> mm. that kind of thing. But all of a sudden he's mad. At Benicio for not being punctual. I yeah. was like, this just seemed like a like we had to have some moment of strain that shows that he's uh, eliminating all of his older friends, mm. uh, and they had to find a way to do that with Benicio. And I just felt like that one was was hard bullshit. Yeah. Uh, in terms of character development or characterization. I also just speaking of Benicio, I also really disdain the final sequence oh. in the film where Benicio is driving in the jeep and he's like surfing on the car and yeah looking up at the buildings i don't like i don't know what that means it's horrendous it's, to it's me. just a it's a positive moment before mm. you know yeah, the, the text end right yeah uh you know and it, it's cool that the not cool uh i like that you know his his death is not portrayed in sort mm. of this sort of like this it's not like we, we don't have like this long tortured path to to death uh you know Obviously, in the second half, he's lost his friends. He feels alone, but it's not as miserable as it could have been. Mm. It's not as miserable as I was honestly expecting. Um, but, yeah, like. Um, but yeah, the moments still weren't great. Yeah, like that. That was uh, not seeing him actually die was something I appreciated because, like, like uh, in a so uh, in Schrader's movie Mishima, like the, it ends like just as he's like starting to. Uh, commit seppuku but in in real life it was way worse like he does he does the disembowelment and the guy that he had chosen as his second wasn't strong enough for the blade to go all the way through his neck so he was like chopping at him for a couple of minutes before another dude stepped in and finally finished it off and then that dude the original the original second commits seppuku because you know he fucked up and so that guy that guy had to behead two people that day so i i appreciate it when those kinds of things are you know we don't need those details well it's a little bit of a cheat in boss because you know they don't show him dying but then they also but then they also have that scene Mm. earlier where that you think that he's dead and his girlfriend finds him and he's well like laid out yeah. and started doing heroin. Poor, uh, poor Claire Florla- yeah. Florlani. Yeah. Well, she was cheating on him too, so mm. fuck her, right? <laughs> 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 uh, 
Um, the scene, uh, the last scene that really uh, bothered me in the film was um, the last one I'll talk about. Anyways, is uh, where the vagrants oh yeah assault him after they're trying to steal his graffiti, mm. which is just so goofy and written and doesn't feel yeah. like a real i mean i don't know i don't know you can tell me yeah, that and i don't give a fuck it does not feel real at all it feels completely ridiculous yeah. and laughable honestly and i and they set it up early it's just very written it's like they set it up by talking earlier about how people are stealing his graffiti and mm. selling it and then of course he comes across people doing that and he's so aloof and he has no idea what's going on he doesn't know how the world works so he immediately starts writing on it to make it worth more money and they don't understand, and they beat yeah. him. It's just, I don't know. It's just like poor Bastia. Yeah, and, I don't, it, it did yeah, and that was another me. sequence with unnecessary uh, slow mo. Like the first, the first, the first yeah. one was like, well, the first one that I noticed was in the cafe where like the dude is like mm-hmm. coming up behind Clear for Lonnie, and it's oh yeah, it's like, yeah. I, I thought it's he was like, like a, it's like a half slow mo. Yeah, like. He like bumped yeah, into like, her. Yeah, like at first I thought he was moving slow because like he didn't want to like like he sees a black guy in the cafe and he's like, "Oh, let me not be threatening." But then it's like, "No, it's in slow mo." I thought it was like it's Yeah, I was like, "Okay, this is Basquiat noticing mm. her." But I was like, "Why is this guy in the shot?" And I was like, "Maybe he's going to see this guy like do something to her, like grab mm. her ass or something and not be." Yeah. But it's just like nothing. It's just like he bumps her a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Again, <laughs> makes no sense like, at all. Just just make it full slow-mo. Like if you're going to do it, like the the sort of like half speed mm. thing is just oh, yeah. like, I thought it was just they, weird. They didn't plan to shoot it in slow-mo initially, so they had to yeah. fix it in post. <laughs> this is a uh, two in a row with Taylor yeah. O'Neill, by the way. Yeah. It's pretty, mm. pretty wild. Uh, and she's not great in this, but, you know, she's not uh, very I, I mean, in that... After, after yeah. she's not. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, she's in the but movie for, like, 30 whatever. seconds, so... <laughs> no, I know, but even her lines in that 30 yeah, seconds yeah. aren't very good. My only other thing was, uh, who do you guys think is the definitive Warhol on film? So you've got Bowie, you've got Crispin Glover in The Doors... Ugh. You've got uh, Guy Pierce and Factory Girl. There's uh, a couple of other ones too. Let me see. I love like those. I, the I've guys. only seen the Crispin Glover one, and I, I don't like the way he's like obviously like licking his lips and like he's ready to just blow Jim Morrison right then and there. Like it's, yeah. <laughs> uh, I I don't know. Bill Hader played him. That in, I would like uh, to see. Men in Black Three. Uh, Jared Harris and I shot Andy Warhol. Did you guys know Jared Harris is Richard Harris's son? No, I didn't know that. Yes, oh. I had no idea. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, that's it though. Mm. I don't know. I actually, I actually would pick Crispin Glover's performance only because it's oh. so strange and like he's so weird and creepy in it. <laughs> <laughs> like when he gives him the phone that you can oh, call right. God on. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. I really like that yeah. shit. That's good. Um. All right. Well, anyway, that's. I mean, yeah, that's all I have to say about Basquiat. Do you guys have any other thoughts or? Uh, uh, oh, sh- t- sh- Schnabel. <laughs> sorry. Real quick, uh, we were talking about the bad musical cues earlier, and like, mm. I don't know if it's the first of of these inc- incidences, but like, over the credits, John Cale's version of ha- Hallelujah. I'm just like, fuck off, you hipster douchebags. <sighs> Well, he apparently did the score. He co-wrote right, the score yeah. with uh, Schnabel, and which is weird. It's like, there's it's like, a score. Why have so many? Why have yeah. so many needle drops, and then also have like four yeah. seconds of score in the movie? No, it's, it's, just, it's ridiculous. Um, weak. I mean, the 
it's just a, it's a bummer too that the uh, the, the the soundtrack is so fucking white. As yeah. Well. Like. <laughs> yeah. That's like there's one Grandmaster like, Flash song, but then the rest is like yeah, just. That's interesting too, yeah, because they confront the whole racism thing. Yeah. Quite a bit in the movie. Yeah, but then like so much about the movie is just like pasty white. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's interesting. It's just well, another thing point, I didn't like. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, ratings for this thing? Uh, three. JR? Uh, I'm gonna go. Um, I'm gonna go with a pretty angry two. I I also am giving it a two. Uh, let's do letterbox right. roulette, and I say that just as I close the <laughs> fucking page with the movie. Well, I mean, just you know, recently closed. Uh, no, 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 I got it right here. Okay, here we go. So the actors are Jeffrey Wright, Bowie, Dennis Hopper, Gary Oldman, and Benicio and mm. Claire Forlani. Those are our six should actors. Be, right? Should be a contest. Let's see. I know this is actually a good one because there's a lot of big heavy yeah. hitters in this one. Oh, man. All right, here we go. Got, I got I've the got dice. You guys, no, see you, this? it's on a rating screen. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Three. Okay, and it's three. Dennis Hopper. So it's Dennis Hopper. Oh, okay, so I was fucked, Kevin. Not at all. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I was thinking. I was thinking John would have this one. I don't. I don't think so, buddy. You, you've, I'm sure you've seen Rebel Without a Cause and Cool Hand Luke. I have. Not. Oh well. <laughs> hmm. What's uh, What's your number there, Jr.? Uh, my number is thirty-three. <laughs> what's 14. your number, Kev? I think John beat me. I have ah. twenty-five. You beat me, bud. And I was just I actually have. I just bought Hoosiers on <laughs> Blu-ray at. Uh, and I was going to watch Gunfight at the OK Corral this week. I literally have it, like, queued up on Paramount+. <laughs> Plus. <laughs> Ugh. But that wouldn't make me win, mm. so it doesn't really matter. Um, all right. So it's, uh, it's me all and right. you, Kev. Let's okay. generate the number. The number is 1581. 1581. Are you guys finding it? I'm trying to. Sorry, okay. It's all good. This uh, silence here. Sorry. 15. Oh, no, no. no, no, I'm I'm almost on the page right now. It's on page 16. 1581. The movie is... uh, Oh, it's The Stranger. Oh, so that's a a redo. You did The Stranger. You did The Stranger like three episodes. I just watched this movie. I'm not even watching that. That's a redo. Thank you. Okay, let's redo it. Um... 2393. 2393. So, yeah. Are we finally I got it. We've like not been to the back of this list at all. 2393. Hang on. Fuck. 25. 23. Okay, I'm one page away. Hang on. Okay, there we go. 2393 is. Wait for it. It's a movie called A Time for Drunken Horses from the year mm. 2000. It's 80 minutes. Wonderful, and it's directed by Baman Gobadi. It's uh, All I right. think it's it's either <coughs> Iranian or Iraqi. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, you know, perfect. And it's I can't remember which. And sorry. it's on canopy. 
Oh, wonderful. Uh, wonderful. Iran. Right. Sorry. Iran. Iran. It's, this uh, will be my first Iranian film. It's in, so. it's in Farsi and Kurdish. Ah. Two languages. And yeah. Maybe, maybe I'll finally get around to watching uh, my copy of Close Up. Since <laughs> I, I, I watch any Iranians. <laughs> 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 I might watch it. Anyways, okay, so next time uh, Kevin and I are going to watch A Time for Drunken mm-hmm. Horses. And uh, JR is going to finish up uh, Terror's Advocate. Yeah. And uh, it's going to mm. be my pick. And my pick, since JR has been ragging on me for picking 90s movies the last few and picks. And we just had one. I'm going way out of the 90s, but not really way out. I'm going 12 years out of the 90s. Uh, we're going to watch Straight Time, directed by Ulu Grossbard, starring Dustin Hoffman and Gary Busey and Harry Dean Stanton and Kathy Bates. And, uh, yeah, it's written by uh, Eddie Bunker. Oh, right. You might remember as Mr. Blue from oh. Reservoir Dogs. And uh, he's also in it. And, uh, yeah, that's what we're going to watch from 1978, Straight Time. Listen to the bell, Gross Bard, it tolls for thee. Right? right ever <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. I don't think I've yeah. ever heard of this movie. Oh, really? It's uh, good, hmm. as I recall. It's been a while. But um, I've seen two Gross Bard films, and this one was better than True Confessions. Cool. So. All right. So that's what we'll be watching. Uh, until then... Visit our website at filmyakpodcast.com. Write to us at filmyakpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram. Like and subscribe on uh, Spotify or iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts at. And uh, thanks for listening. Bye. Is it Schnabel or Schnabel? I think it's what are Schna- we going I feel with? like I've heard him say Schnabel before. Or whenever mm. he was nominated for um, Diving Bell, when that movie came out, it was like he was like all over the place, and they kept saying Schnabel. Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't. Maybe it is Schnabel. I don't fucking. No, know. no. I, I have no fucking idea.